This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Shut up and sit down. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. This week, John and I talk with um, Billy Phillips from Hunt Urban. Um, he is fresh back from a family saddle hunting trip to Africa, and uh, that's kind of what we wanted to talk to him about a little bit, uh, about uh, the African um, style hunting, which has never been a real draw to, to John or I, um, and just kind of talk to uh, choosing a hunt and things like that, and then we kind of go down a whole bunch of different rabbit holes and talk about you know everything from um, crossbows, traditional archery, um, and kind of end up hunting in general. Um, you know, kind of like what it means to us as far as, um, you know, the traditional side, you know, the, the tradition and, and why we kind of continue doing what we're doing. Is it for the animals, uh, hunting versus killing type thing? You kind of end up with, um, kind of recounting some of our favorite hunts from from each one of us, and um, you know, it might be surprising, um, kind of the the answers that we have because none of them involve our largest animal killed. It's more about uh, sharing memories with others, um, and I think as a hunting community, we need to get into more of the, sharing that experience with others and getting more people involved. And kind of looking past, you know, the size of the animal, the equipment, and and, and things like that. Um, so this is really uh, a fun podcast. We met Billy down at uh, ATA, and it was just, uh, you know, a, a great guy and super interesting. Lots of lots of uh, archery background. Um, so it's it's a great podcast, a fun one to listen to, a long one. Um, but you know, thanks for tuning in for sure. Um, it's a, it's a great podcast, fun fun one to uh to to record for sure um but also if you're going to be up at the total archery challenge um at boyne like i said we are having a little uh cookout um saturday evening 
Um, you can find us back behind the uh, practice range. We're going to be back there. I'm um, just kind of cooking out, hanging out with the guys from the Hunt of War podcast. And uh, it, it's going to be a, a great time. It sounds like there's going to be a pretty good turnout. Uh, we've had some real good feedback off of uh, social media and uh, talking on the last podcast. So if you're going to be up at the Total Archery Challenge um, at Boyne Mountain um, this year, um, definitely come check us out. We're going to be there, you know, from Thursday till Monday. So, uh, swing by and, and say hi and tell us what we can do better, uh, to make the podcast better for you as a listener and for you as a listener, as always, check out our affiliates in uh, gear rack, XOP gear and, um, service side. Uh, check out everything that they've got going on there and you can use code chronicles to save yourself some money at all of those spots. Follow us along on uh, Facebook and Instagram. And uh, you know, if you haven't checked out our Patreon page and you like what we're doing, uh, go over there and you know, if you got, you know, if you enjoy the podcast and you like what you're doing and you can spare $5, you know, uh, it helps us to do things like, go to the total archery challenge and kind of, you know, put on the, the cookout and everything that we're doing and, uh, the, the cost for the, the podcast. But if not, no big deal. Just tell a friend, you know, follow along and say, Hey, you know, listen to this episode or, you know, refer us to somebody. And, you know, that's, that's all we can ask for is just give us some feedback and let us know, you know, how we're doing. But, um, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this podcast because Billy is a super interesting guy and, uh, what a fun one to record. So, um, without any further ado, enjoy the podcast. Thanks for listening. It's, it's a song of my people. I'm pretty sure you guys are familiar with it. All right. Okay. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, just started recording, um, per our guest request. Uh, he said all the fun stuff happens before uh, you start recording <laughs> on these podcasts. And um, so today it's uh, Adam and John here with, I don't even know how we book these guests. He is a urban hunter extraordinaire, fresh back from a saddle hunting safari with a wife and daughters. And he has a penchant for crossbows and, uh, and he's into birds. Um. Yeah, kind of, kind of crazy. I mean, like, and the the crossbow thing really. I mean, I I, I actually shoot trad gear. I have a um, a, a, a stalker uh, recurve. Um, Matthew's uh, Matthew's helium is my my uh, compound that I shoot. But um, just recently, I uh, picked up a mission crossbow, and it was primarily for my for my family to use because it's. I mean, my eight-year-old can use it and my wife can use it and all my hundred kids in between can use it i started shooting it and i was pretty impressed i mean it's it's still archery right but it it's there's a there's an accuracy level that is uh rifle like uh, i mean i mean pellet gun rifle like you know where where you you the trajectory isn't you know I guess you can shoot a hundred yards with them, have nice groups, but I don't, I mean, it's still archery where, you know, I like to limit my shots and coming from a, a suburban background, suburban hunting background. Um, I try to limit my shots to 20 yards. 
uh, especially in deer, whitetail deer and, and suburban settings. So uh, compounds more than enough, you know, it's, it's plenty. I mean, I'm most people within 20 yards, 15 or 20 yards of the compound are just deadly, deadly crossbow is almost not, it's almost overkill in that situation. But yeah, I mean, I, I started shooting this mission crossbow and I actually, I really like it. Well, so, uh, for the listener, um, why don't you go ahead and, uh, introduce yourself and give a little bit of a, a background and we'll kind of bust your balls from there, I guess. <laughs> That's going to be easy to do, man. Um, well, uh, background is I have a lot of things on my plate from, I, I bow hunt in urban settings to help, you know, control the population of deer. Um, probably seen me on hunt urban with Taylor Chamberlain before. Um, uh, I'm into falconry. Um, that's a time consuming part of my life. Um, but luckily I try to fit that in after the main part of bow season, in the middle of winter where it's kind of a little more difficult to hunt. Um, a lot of family going on. I have four daughters. Um, my, uh, my one year old obviously doesn't hunt, but the other three hunt, my wife hunts. Um, we just got back from a trip to Africa. Um, I was the first saddle hunter, um, in Africa, um, took my tethered saddle over there, had a blast. I was, <laughs> I was the pH for, for my kids and my wife a lot of the times. Uh, so I didn't get to hunt as much as I wanted to, but I did get to get out and hunt, shot a couple things, had a blast. Um, I guess my background is basically that, that, you know, from anything from urban hunting to, um, sick deer hunting in Maryland and the swamps of, uh, Dorchester County. Um, I'm just an outdoorsman. I, I, I like to do as much as I can. And I think that gets me into trouble a little bit. I think my biggest problem is that I want to do so many things and I'm just so busy. I mean, I know you guys are talking about the, uh, in, in one of your recent podcasts talking about the, um, uh, the, uh, the bass challenge, the yak and bass challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, like, I, I was thinking, man, I'd love to do that. I'm like, can I fit another thing on my plate right now? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I can. Yeah. And I, you know, it was, it's funny because, you know, like I said, you know, for the listener who doesn't always get to, they're not privy to, you know, there's usually 20 minutes or a half hour of just bullshitting before you get on the podcast and a lot of the stuff is lost in there. So to go straight into to talking about this, I was thinking like, man, I was like, man, this guy's straight from jujitsu practice and, uh, yeah. and his daughters are into jujitsu. And that was one of the things I was going to ask John is like, you know, do you, is that something that you've ever considered? I mean, you, you, you hear, you know, you can't turn on a podcast. I mean, it's, it's like uh, saddle hunting or uh, hunting from a kayak or something. It's like, you know, that's what you're supposed to be doing. Lift, hunt, eat, uh, you know, paddleboard, uh, you know, jujitsu. Jiu it's all of those things. And it's something that I would like to do. And I, I kind of like in following like what you're doing, I love watching, you know, your daughters doing that because I've got a three-year-old and she is just a mm -hmm. ball of fire. And for, <laughs> you know, I think that to be able to channel some of that energy into, you know, some discipline and something positive, but then I'm in the same boat is like, man do i need another hobby? so much on your plate already. <laughs> i got enough shit going on yeah and, and and you know you you have to pick and choose your battles and you know but i look at it this way is, is all of these opportunities that we have because that's how i look at all these things whether it's falconry or jiu-jitsu bow hunting it's going to africa i'm so blessed 
we have all these opportunities. We can do whatever we want. I mean, we don't live in a lot of these other countries where they don't have the opportunities to literally do whatever we want. I'm, I, and I'm very fortunate and blessed. I've, I've got a lifestyle that, that, you know, but, but I, my wife and I really worked, excuse me, we really worked hard to set ourselves up for this. I didn't realize it was going to be as busy as it is, but you, you do pick and choose your battles. I mean, do I get to, um, am I the best archer that I could be? No, I'm not. Um, because I'm doing other things. Am I the best fisherman that I would like to be? No, I'm not. I love, I love fly fishing right now. If I try to do a roll cast right now, I would definitely pierce my ear. hundred percent. Absolutely. hundred percent pierced. Maybe tongue. I might even pierce my tongue. I don't know. I, I wish I could do those things more. I, I tell people all the time, I wish I had like a 50-hour day. <laughs> really pack everything I want to do in, into one day. But, you know, you just you have to pick and choose. And, and you, hit, you hit something really important. When you talked about your three-year-old, you know, she's a ball of fire. You're, I can tell already, you, you, you want to put your energy into her. You want to focus her energy. You're, you're, in, you're interested in her. And, you know, if she never wants to get into something that you like, and that's okay, go along with her. And and I've noticed that with my kids too. You know, there's there's some times where they uh, they want to go a different direction than than I want them to go, and you know sometimes you have to go along with them, just support them, and just go along with them because they are a different person. You know, they're they're not you. They're a totally different person. You just have to, you know ride ride take the ride with them you know yeah just support them what they what their uh, interests are you just got to support them like my kids are all older my youngest is 15 and i have my boy's 15 and i have a 17 year old daughter 21 year old daughter and a 25 year old daughter so they're all you know my oldest daughter, she tried hunting with me a couple times, you know. She loved going fishing with me. She was just telling me that the other day. She's like, man, those were the best naps ever, Dad. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, but th- they were all in sports and stuff. My 21-year-old right now is actually over in Australia. She's uh, studying abroad, but, you know, she wow. is, she's kind of like a little hippie. You know, she started, started eating uh, environmental studies and uh, sustainability, and so... She definitely isn't into killing things. So, <laughs> does, does she? Does she? Does she eat things with a face? That's the big question. <laughs> yeah, she will. But <laughs> when, when, maybe actually when, once in a while. Actually, when she was little, she was she was pretty savage. You know, like see a squirrel in the backyard, kill him, Dad, kill him. You know, <laughs> shoot the chipmunks, and she'd have a little pile of them that were getting in the shed. But then after, I don't know, when she started getting in her teenage years, she. Uh, kind of went different way so <laughs> you know and I, my kids are young and i'm I, I expect them to change i expect them to do different things um I, but i want to give them just like you did you we want to give our kids everything that we can give them i can't i can't give my kids and like you can't give your your daughter uh, environmental um uh you know hippie type of uh perspective on life right Right. (laughs) i know you john i don't think you can do that very well (laughs) but you can support her in that you get but as growing up you know you were able to give her you know your perspective on life and and that that 
turned her into the person she is. And that I, I think that's what I want to do with my kids. And that's the whole reason I took them to Africa. You know, my wife and I, we, by the way, if you ever want to go to Africa, go to one of the SCI banquets, especially one of the local chapters. That's what I do. I go to the Mid-Atlantic Bowhunter chapter of SCI. And I buy these hunts on these live auctions. You get them for steals. I mean steals. I can't even, I don't even want to say what we bought a two-person hunt for. Each person got three animals, and it was well, well, well below even our airfare, what we paid for that hunt. So my wife and I bought this hunt two years ago, and we decided to go, and it was just going to be her and I. And then my wife got pregnant, and it was planned. Um, and we said, man, we were going to have to put this off. We can't go. We're going to have to go the following year. And then we're like, we've got a one-year-old at this point. How are we going to go and leave her back home? Because my parents actually uh, went with us. They went, they stayed a few days with us, and then um, they went on another hunt for roan and hippo and crocodile and all kinds of stuff. They, they hunt internationally all the time. So we're thinking, what are we going to do, and how are we going to – deal with having all these kids and finally my wife and I said look let's see if we can find dates that will work for us where we can get the lowest airfare and take all of us and we did at first man I tell you what it was it was looking like it was going to be like two grand a person and I'm like look I can't that's not many people can swing two grand a person you know I've got four kids <laughs> right and, and, and one of those people is one year old. I mean, two An grand. Infant, to, right? Yeah, it's not gonna. It's, it's brutal. Yeah. Hers would have been cheaper, but it would have. It was just stupid. So, but we were looking in June and July. So we started talking to people, did a little research. They said go in the off-peak season, like in the spring, our spring and our fall. Um, so we decided to go in April, and we'd said screw it, we're just gonna we're gonna take the baby. I didn't want to leave her by herself. I just didn't want to split up the family. Family's core, you know, we're close. If, if one of us is going, we might as well all go. So we decided to do it. And um, the week before, week and a half before, we all started getting sick, got the flu, and it just passed through the family. And it was one of those bad flus that's, you know, I'm not going to get into detail, but it was everything, <laughs> you know, that you can imagine would be terrible. And you do not want to be on a flight. That's what we had. My, my oldest daughter was the first one to get it. We all cleared it, and it was two, three days before we were going to leave. It was uh, the Friday before Easter Sunday. We went up to my in-laws. My daughter got sick again. My oldest daughter got sick again, and I mean terribly sick. She lost like 12 pounds. She only weighs 110, and it was bad. So Sunday, Easter Sunday, we're leaving on Monday. Easter Sunday, she's sick as a dog, and we're going – I don't really know what to do. We can't leave her here. If somebody, you know, I, I didn't want to leave her sick and, you know, with an, uh, with my in-laws or anything like that. So we were thinking maybe one of us stays and just like, and then one of us goes to Africa with three other kids. Like, well, that's not going to work. <laughs> it was like, we're, we're, I mean, we're panicking at this point. Well, luckily we had gone to a travel consultant and um got to get our shots and everything like that guy yeah, tetanus shots yeah i love them uh so i went and got we got those and they said hey you should you should 
take some of this uh, medicines, like helps for traveling diarrhea and nausea and things like that. And I'm looking at it and going, mm, just me, my personality, I'm like, I don't need that garbage. My wife's like, absolutely, let's get some of that. Thank God she's a genius. She got it, gave it to my daughter, stopped everything. The next day we got up and I'm like, all right, Lily, how do you feel? I mean, it's like touch and go. How do you feel? We're getting on a plane in four hours. How do you feel? She's like, I feel pretty good. Let's do it. So we gambled and went. She was good the whole way. We fueled up in uh, Ghana. And on the second flight down to Johannesburg, my second oldest daughter threw up in my wife's breakfast right on her tray (laughs) filled the tray bad right i mean it's like all over her blanket that she had all over her sweatshirt and i'm like oh fuck this is just not going very well and i was able to get a trash bag and wrap all the stuff in the trash bag throw it in the baby was great you know cried a little bit here and there but you know it was good it was the i'm like oh my god what are we gonna do Luckily, I think it was just motion sickness. She wasn't feeling ill. So we get there, we land, and we're just exhausted. We're like, let's go. We had to stay over with with a layover in Johannesburg before we went to Kimberly. And we get out, go get through security and everything. And my wife says, did you get the bag that had the barf clothes in? I said, hell no, I didn't get that bag. She said, but my blanket's in there that my mother gave me when I was a baby. And Riley's favorite sweatshirts in that in that bag, and I'm like, so? <laughs> uh, what do you? Mean? So she she's a little bit disappointed. I said, you know what? Let me go back. And I went back and I said, hey, 45 minutes ago we landed. Can I get this bag? And they're like, look, everything's been thrown away. It's gone. It's done. And I said, would 100 dollars find that bag? And I'll be damned if 20 minutes later, they didn't bring that bark bag to me. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the end of the bad stuff that happened on the trip. Um, when we got there, everything turned around. And my kids had the best time of their lives. They, uh, they sang songs. They made up songs about warthogs, which they called rhino pigs instead, instead <laughs> of calling them warthogs. And... <clears throat> They, they made up a game where we had to, while we're driving around through this monstrous, monstrous area that, you, I mean, it took you hours to drive across this place. It was incredible. But we pick out animals, just go on drives and pick out animals. Like half the time we weren't, most of the time we weren't even hunting, we were playing. It was so much fun. Drive around and the kids would, if you saw an animal, if you saw it first, you got points for a certain animal. And, you know, Gems Buck might be five points in a, Impala might be 10 points. And if you saw an Elon, you won. That's like you win the game. That's the animal that, you know, we, it was difficult to find. If you saw it, you won the game for the day. But if you saw a warthog and you called it a warthog, you would, you would lose your, you lose all of your points for the day. Only way to get your points back was to shit your pants. was literally the rule of the game (laughs) so if you reached out and said warthog well i mean either you're out of the game and you're not playing anymore or get the wet wipes out (laughs) so you had you had to call them rhino pigs the whole time 
they made up they made up things like rhino pig road for these pathways that we would always drive down and there's this one big water hole that they called uh, rhino pig lake and believe me it looked like a rhino pig lake it was a mud puddle right <laughs> but the point is that they just had the best time of their lives to the point where when we left they were crying in the airport now we went to disney world six eight months ago they did not cry when we left they had a blast <laughs> they had a great time they did not cry when we left disney world they cried when we left uh south africa it's so much fun. They wanted to move. They're ready. To like, hey, can can we move here? Can we buy a place here? Can you guys? Can I mean, they were doing everything they could to figure out how we could go back immediately. It was an incredible trip, and that's something that the one-year-old obviously will not remember. My eight-year-old will remember bits and pieces. Uh, she'll remember a lot of it. The, the older two girls are going to remember that. That's they're going to have those memories for the rest of their lives. You know, and as soon as we got back, they pulled out their piggy banks made a jar, wrote Africa on it, and started saving money because they want to go back next year. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so with the um, – one of the things – and I've talked to a, a few of my friends that hunt, you know, Africa's like on their bucket list of, of hunts. It sounds like, mm -hmm. um, you know, you or your, your, your kids as well um, are brought up around, um, you know, maybe a culture of – big game hunting or African hunting. You know, my grandpa had been on a couple different safaris and he's, he's a, a rifle hunter, not a bow hunter at all. Mm -hmm. Um, and had traveled all over the world and it just, you know, and I've, and I've heard and read a couple of different things where there's, you know, the ones where you just drive around and shoot or sit on a water hole all day or, you know, different styles of, of hunts. So what was, what's the draw to hunting in Africa? Um, for you, and was this your first trip uh, hunting in Africa? I mean, it sounds like this it was, was an amazing trip with with the family, obviously. Yeah. But if you can throw hunting in there, uh, all the more better. So, right? yes. Yeah, so this was my third trip, um, and the very first time I went, we only went in, sat on water holes, and strictly bow hunting. We only sat water holes, and I mean, it's kind of like kinda like antelope hunting out west. You know, you sit there and you wait. But the difference is, instead of just antelope coming in, think about every North American game species that we have could possibly come into that waterhole. So that was different. Um, th that was incredible. The very first time I went, and that was totally fine. I had a blast. Um, it, the second time I went, it was a, a combination of that and some spot and stalk, things like that. Um, this time... I had a little bit more knowledge. My advice would be this. You need to know exactly what kind of a hunt that you want before you go. Um, and when I say that, I mean like, do you just want to sit over a water hole? Do you just want to drive around and shoot from 500 yards with a rifle? Do you want to just uh, spot and stalk? Or do you want to go put a loincloth on and use a spear and, and, you know, try to hunt down a buffalo, you know, you really have to know what you, what you want. So you're not going to be disappointed now, but you also have to understand that the more difficult you make it for yourself, the fewer animals you're going to get. Um, you know, your pH is going to say, look, you're, you're going to make me more money if we ride around the truck and just blast animals from the truck with a rifle. But your pH also, at least the ones that I've gone with, 
they know that that's not what they would consider hunting and what I would consider hunting. Um, you know, I would like to go with an atlatl, you know, <laughs> and, and go all out. But I know that I, if I went there for 10 days with an atlatl not being very good with it, I would probably fail pretty miserably and, you know, maybe even get bit by a poisonous snake or something. So <laughs> you just have to, you, you, you have to, you know, understand what you want out of that trip and what kind of a hunt you want. You know, a lot of us on the East and you, you guys in the Midwest, a lot of us are tree stand hunters, saddle hunters. So, so it's pretty natural um, for us to maybe sit a water hole in a blind or I took a saddle this time. So it was, na- it was so natural. I climbed a, in, into these uh, acacia trees I'm in a saddle. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like I'm hunting at home, but I've got giant freaking antelope coming in. <laughs> and so I was very comfortable. <clears throat> Excuse me. I was very comfortable in those situations. So I kind of set it up the way that I wanted. Now, you also have the opportunity to go do spot and stalks where they'll kind of mix in the, you drive, you spot from driving, and then you get down and you walk and you stalk and try to get within bow range. And look, I mean, the eyesight is, I mean, just like any other, you know, some of them are even better. Um, the white tail or antelope or anything else. I mean, they're all antelope over there. That Their eyesight's incredible. If you screw up, you're cooked. You're not getting a shot. You know, your, your four hour stalk or even 20 minute stalk, whatever it is, is, is cooked. So, you know, you can make the hunt, as difficult as you want because the rules on hunting are i don't want to say not different but i don't need, i don't want to say lax it's just you can make it you can hunt them the way you want you know they they even have some of these really big game ranches have call hunts where i mean you can literally just sit down they give you a swivel chair and You've got a long, 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 super long range rifle, and you just shoot as many of a specific animal that they, they need to remove from the herds. You shoot as many as you can in a day, every day. You know, or you can go and straight stick bow, go in there with, I mean, flint napped arrows if you want, and spot and stalk barefoot if you want. It's up to you. And, and I think, so my advice on going to Africa, if you want to do it, know what kind of a hunt you want to do and if if collecting animals are important to you then the hunting should be a little bit easier don't expect to go over there spot and stalk and shoot six or eight animals in a week i mean can you shoot six or eight white-tailed deer in a week by spotting and stalking them because i know i can't that's pretty damn good so i think people need to manage their expectations when they go over but set up the hunt the way that they want to do and so I guess, um, how was, you know, you said it's the first saddle in Africa. How was it received with the, you know, the professional hunters or the, uh, foreign national, the natives, you know, whatever, however you want to call them. I mean, what do they think of it? Is it something that has made it over there yet to, for them to be no. aware of? Dude, they had no idea. Absolutely no idea. They, <clears throat> they were expecting me to pull out a tree stand. And I did pull out my, because I, I used the Predator platform, and they're like, how are you going to stand on that? And they looked at it like, you can't fit, that's not going to, that's not a tree stand, right? I'm like, no, I know, this, that's, this is just a piece, 
you know, I don't even, and I told him, I said, I don't even need this platform. It just makes it so much more comfortable to, to sit up there. But when they were totally cool about it and I, my, when, when I went over, I wanted to know, I'm like, how am I going to get up? I don't want to bring sticks over. Cause then I've got it. That's more luggage. So I brought over wild edge steps. When I got over there, um, the pH was like, look, I've got a couple trees. Like you have these big, the only big trees over there are near water holes. You know, it's like all the other ones that don't have a lot of water. Well, they're all small. You find these water holes in place where there's water. There's these big trees. So he's like, all right, I've got these trees. He would drive right up to them and put a ladder in the back of the truck and lean it against the tree. And it's like, all right, go ahead and climb. I'm like, dude, you realize I could climb this tree with these. He's like, why? When I can drive right, drive you right to him. So I didn't even have to use my wild edge steps to climb. He, they were infatuated with it. They wanted to know exactly how it worked. He was taking pictures of me, you know, while I was in the tree. He was pretty interested. And he was like, I know this is going to work. I, I, this is, I know this is going to work. And he, the thing that he liked about it the most is that I was mobile. Their blinds that they have over there, they're concrete dug in the ground blinds near a water hole. You can only play one wind on those. Well, with a saddle, I could play any wind I want. And that was the advantage. Really liked it. I thought it was well-received. Um, those particular guys, uh, that particular pH, older guy, he's not getting in a saddle because he only, only hunts from, from the foot. He does not sit water holes at all. The other guy, the other pH that we had um, hunts in the Eastern Cape of South Africa, and his specialty is... Uh, a bush pig and a blue diker. And both are very difficult animals to hunt. Very difficult with wind, very thick. It's, it's one of those, one of those things where a blind on the ground is, is at a detriment because you're so close to the animals, you know, the wind, you know, and if wind swirls a little bit when you're five yards away and you're on the ground, you're, you're totally cooked. If you're in the air, and you guys know this from whitetail hunting. If you're in the air, it gives you a little bit of relief. And he's just looking for that, just that little bit of an advantage. So he wants to use a saddle in the Eastern Cape, which I thought was pretty cool. So did you leave it for him? No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. I told him if he wanted one, I could, I'd send him one. But I wasn't giving him my one and only saddle. <laughs> I, and you know, I'm terrible. I, I'm terrible. I have two other saddles from two other companies it's sitting downstairs collecting dust right now. I should probably sell them on eBay or something because I, I guarantee them, I have an original trophy line that I could sell right now. I guarantee someone would buy it. Um, but I just, I, I, don't, I don't even use them. <laughs> but I, I, I didn't want to give up my saddle, to be honest <laughs> with you, man. I need it. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, it. we're getting into kill permit season right now uh, for whitetails in these urban areas. So, I mean, I'm going to come home and not have a saddle. I, I know, and I'm pretty sure that uh, most of the saddle companies right now, from what I hear, are pretty backed up on orders because, I mean, it's just blowing up now. Well, that new Arrow Hunter Flex just dropped, and it sounds yep. like they had them in stock, and, and, and they were shipping them already. But um, They're flying off the shelves. Yeah, oh, oh, for sure. But, I mean, I guess I just figured since, you know, it, seeing you at ATA, I know you know a few of the guys from Tethered, so 
I figured you could get yeah. your hands on one. You know, I feel bad though too. You know, I feel bad asking him like, "Hey, can you put me to the, get me to the front of the line or something like that?" Just because I know him, I, I, I'll be honest, I do feel bad doing that I, because I hunt because I like doing it. I don't, you know, some of these guys on some of these folks on Instagram and and uh, you know, going to the ATA, you know, you know why they're there. They're there 100% so they can take advantage at as much as they possibly can on some of these companies who are just trying to get their feet under them. And they're not trying to take advantage of the people. They're just trying to get as much free stuff as they as they can. And I, I, I see that. And I feel bad. So I don't want to – I try not to do that. You know, so I, I would feel a little bad <laughs> doing that. <laughs> Put me in the front of the line, you know, no, I but oh, you're going intercontinental here. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. You just opened up a whole new uh, pathway for them to, you know, send them to Africa. Now we're going to have the next uh, huge shipment. <laughs> like that's that's true. That's true. Yeah, and, and I going back. I I'll 100 percent take a saddle again because how are you going to pack a tree stand to Africa? You know, what are you in your check luggage? You want to check another bag? It's, oh, what is this? It's a tree. Like, that's just, I was able to roll my saddle up and just stuff it into my luggage. And it was in my, in my, uh, predator platform was tiny, all in my luggage. In fact, my platform, in fact, both of them were in my carry on. I carried them both on. Yeah. Yeah. That and my, and my, uh, the worst, the worst thing to take over though was the camera gear. That's like the, my, you know, camera mounts. I know you guys were talking about how much of a pain. I think, John, you said the other day your your pack was like, with everything was like 60 pounds or something yeah. like that, with cameras and everything else. I mean, that's the worst, man. I, and sometimes I'm like, man, I love, I love recording the hunts and I love recording what I do, you know, because I can go back over and I can share it. But it is a pain, man. It is, it is a total pain. And I, I hope it doesn't detract from my hunting. You know, once it does, I I, I can see myself saying, all right, somebody's got to record me because I'm not doing this anymore. But I think the, the worst part was the camera year. In fact, at security, when I went through Dulles, you know, they, they were, they pulled some of our stuff out and looked, and most of it was, you know, they're pulling out any liquids and lotions and, you know, shampoos and things like that. <clears throat> the other thing they really looked at was my camera gear. Cause they're like, what is this big metal like thing? I'm like, you attach it to a tree and put a camera on it. And they're like, what in the hell are you talking about? <laughs> like, what kind of idiot does that? I'm like, well, I do. <laughs> you know? Oh, so. man. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I mean, as far as uh, detracting from the hunting, um, you know, with our turkey hunts, and I'm sure you've seen the videos and they're. You know, we're, we're, we're we're making it an attempt um but um i don't think that it's detracted from the hunting i think to be honest with you it's been so much fun i think it's the bows that are detracting from our turkey hunting because uh, man we'd have, we'd have killed so many turkeys with a shotgun it, it's not even fun oh yeah but it's do you think you'd have hit any decoys with a shotgun you know i think <laughs> at that angle i think a few pellets would have hit the decoy he would have ripped his head off it would have had to <laughs> that's a sacrifice i'm willing to take but you know I, I've, i said it before i don't know that i said it on the podcast but i know that i've said it to people who've been busting my balls about that i'm like the pattern is just so tight with a bow i'm not used to that you know with a even at that <laughs> at that close with a shotgun it opens up a little bit 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and plus the other thing is too, you guys with Turkey hunting, you guys are doing it in a group. Imagine trying to bow hunt and film a Turkey hunt, like literally impossible. Well, There's got to be a couple people who have done it. Yeah. I mean, for, for turkeys, I mean, we've done it. I mean, that, the one that I missed came in perfectly. The one, the one that I don't have, I, John lost his glove and, uh, you know, it's my brand new hex glove. <laughs> I didn't even, you know, that was the thing. <laughs> We're up. They can only see your hand now. Right. I'm like walking around like Michael Jackson. Someone was saying, like, you know, here's John. I don't know what's like Michael Jackson, you know. But, uh, you know, I just, I, I'm like, I got to have my hex gloves because my whole thing was I was going to sit outside the tent. You know, I was going to sit outside mm-hmm. the blind, you know, like the hex guys do and just see if mm-hmm. it was going to work. And here, it's not even my season. I'm up filming. You know, it's Adam's, Adam's a shooter. Uh, Frank's calling. His buddy Ernie's helping, you know, film some, and then I was the main cameraman, and and we we get in, set up, and there's a bird gobble, and I go to put my glove. I'm like, oh, son of a bitch! One of my gloves fell in my pocket. So we're sitting there, you know, we set up on the bird, and then he wasn't moving. So we decided, well, we're gonna we're gonna go, you know, move in a hundred yards closer to him. Like, you know what? You guys go ahead. I'm gonna go find my glove before. I can't figure out the, the track that we did. You know? So I ended up backtracking all the way to the truck, going back around, ended up back up there, didn't find it at that point, but I ended up back on the first mound, the first spot we set up, and I could hear the whole thing going on 100 yards over in the next, uh, you know, little ridge. And Frank's calling, the bird's coming in, and that's then all of a sudden I hear, you know, you know, and then the bird's still gobbling, so I'm like, hmm. But our, our cameraman... <laughs> The cameraman. John John passes the camera to Frank's buddy, and he's he's the the commentator on uh, on Frank's hunt. And that's okay. I had to leave that in there because their their dialogue is just priceless. And that's I mean <laughs> that's why every single fucking day, like being married into this family is like that just never stops. So he's Dude, Frank's gonna... a riot. By the <laughs> way, love Frank. Yeah, and and so you've actually gotten to to meet him and not just listen to you know and, and yeah God, the guy he he just when when you were I was wishing he was here they're getting up turkey hunting tomorrow's the last day of their season and uh, he's gonna be up I don't blame to hunt. but uh, when you said like the game would be like you had to shit your pants to continue I was like well Frank can probably do that anyways and then you could just admit it and continue on. <laughs> Yeah. Get your points back, whatever. right? Hey, hey, no problem. So, but anyways, he had the the camera, the the tripod fully extended. He's standing next to a tree. The camera's six foot up on the t- tripod, and then he's got it zoomed all the way in. And then he gets so excited, like he's actually been banned from hunting turkeys with Frank with a shotgun because by Frank. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean. You know, just in the little bit that either you've listened to us talk or watched in the videos, mm-hmm. I mean, Frank can call a turkey from anywhere. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> son of a bitch, what are you doing? Like, I had the shot. Like, you didn't have the fucking shot, all right? He's on his way in. He's still 60 yards out. <laughs> so he, you know, so he gets a little bit amped up, to say the least. 
And so he zoomed all the way in because his turkey was 500 yards away. We've got 22 minutes of video in about 13 seconds of the turkey because it's <laughs> zoomed 100% all the way in as far as the camera can go. And then it's in the sky, on the ground, it, on a tree. Perfectly focused on the bark of a tree. You could, like, you know, if you were a biologist, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that tree's got some of this moss. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that was B-roll, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A whole and, lot of it. And, you know, so, you I mean, you can hear the audio. Crack. I mean, as soon as the, the arrow hits right behind the turkey, he gobbles, and he just stood right there, and I knocked another arrow. But, you know, that one, we were no blind. I was just next to a tree, you know, the cameraman standing there, just, you know, at – Parade it's weird how <laughs> it's weird how turkeys do that sometimes. I mean, you can be full out. I mean, head net the whole nine yards in a you know under a holly tree, you know in the shade, and they see something and go Mm-mm, turn right. around and they leave. But then other times, like you said, you can have a camera sticking out, you can knock an arrow, and they. I, I, I don't understand turkeys. <laughs> I, I'm not the best turkey hunter in the world. I love it. I, I absolutely love it, but uh, yeah, not not the best in the world. We had a, I had took my girls out, take my girls out every year, at least once or twice to turkey hunt, and I have a very very special little property, eight miles from my house, and it's a a woman who um, were knocking on doors and found this lady and she said, "Come on in," and I told her, I said, um, "I'm really looking for a spot." hunt and she instantly i saw her face change like i don't i'm not gonna allow hunting and i'm not the one who wants to hunt i want my daughters to hunt she looked at me and said come on in let's talk i brought my daughter her and my daughter hit it off immediately they became buddies um now they're pen pals and the whole nine well anyway this spot <clears throat> at the base of the blue ridge mountains absolutely picturesque beautiful loudon county virginia like you can't get any prettier and it has these gigantic mature oak trees all through this old pasture. But the pasture is kept low grass, but it's huge mature trees in there. So it's like you would expect it to be woods, but it's low pasture grass. And then it connects to big woods. Well, those turkeys roost right on the edge of that, right over the creek and the pond there. And you can drive up get out of you have to be super quiet getting out of your vehicle because you set up literally 20 30 yards from your truck and the turkeys are just gobbled they're just loaded with loaded with turkeys well we were able to get one that came and we decided to we decided to bring the crossbow this year and we had a turkey 50 yards and my daughter wasn't comfortable and i wouldn't have been comfortable shooting a turkey 50 yards either even even with a super accurate crossbow i just I look at bow hunting in this way. If I had, if I was able to go into the future and get a bow that was, say, 20 years in the future and get the newest compound bow that 200 yards, you could, I mean, just shoot dimes in it. It, it, it was a perfect, perfect shot 200 yards every time. Let's just hypothetically say that. I still wouldn't hunt any differently than I do now. I would still consider a 30-yard shot a poke, a long shot. Not that it is a difficult shot, and sometimes they are, but not that it's a difficult shot. It's just that 
bow hunting to me, when I grew up, my father taught me that you bow hunt so you get close to the animal. You have to be you have to be a better hunter to be able to get yourself into position without them knowing you're there to shoot them. And I don't know if it's better hunter or a different type of hunter, but that's the type of hunter that, that I try to be. So I was, and my daughter, you know, wasn't comfortable shooting that distance. So we got to watch this bird strut back and forth in front of us in that low grass under those giant oak trees for 30 or 40 minutes. And then it went off and, and you know that was fine we left got breakfast and oh and on the way to breakfast we saw a smoke-phased gobbler gobbling on a driveway and i got video of it it's incredible absolutely incredible smoke-phased gobbler it's the first time i've ever seen a smoke-phased turkey ever it was pretty cool but yeah i I don't know turkey hunting to me it's I can't say it's, I, I like it more than whitetail hunting, but man, it gets my blood just going. When they're gobbling and coming in, I mean, that's, that and elk hunting, man. You guys, you guys had a blast in your elk hunt last year, didn't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's one of those hunts or one of those experiences, like, well, it's like cliche or whatever. But it's like almost like life changing. Like you know, we said like coming mm-hmm. back to to whitetail hunt was like how are my, how am I just going to be able to sit here and not yep. engage these animals? And I don't know. I I think it was just so far outside of like what we're used to, or like our our not necessarily our comfort zone because you know we got out there and you know accomplished our goals. You know as as best we we were able to. I mean we met all of the goals that we set for ourselves, you know, obviously we mm-hmm. want to harvest an animal, but I, as far as say having a blast, it's like now you just can't wait to get back out there. That's the, yeah. now it's just a matter of, you know, all of those things that we talked about at the beginning of the podcasting, like, you know, we're be- trying to balance everything. It's like, well, I need to set aside, you know, at least 10 days of hunting, but mm-hmm. you know, two weeks or till you get it done or, or whatever. Um, God, that it's just so beautiful out there. It's so big. It's so foreign. And I, you know, I, and I think maybe on some level, that's what some people's draw to, to Africa is because they've done all mm-hmm. the things here in the States. And I can see that, you know, um, I was in Africa yeah, for, know. uh, for the Marines and I have a different perspective on I was just in the <laughs> shitty part of Africa. So <laughs> yeah, there wasn't much uh, uh honey antelope in the Af- in Africa that you were in, I bet. No, no. But <laughs> well, you know, you 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 bring up a good point about it being different and foreign. Um and then and also that people have a draw to Africa. You know, I I, I talked to I've got a good buddy who is a he is a fantastic bow hunter. He really really doesn't want to go to Africa at all. And I said, why? I'm like, why wouldn't you want to go? He's like, have you ever shot a moose? I said, well, no, I haven't. He said, neither have I. I said, okay. He said, have you ever shot a caribou, grizzly bear? I said, no. He said, bighorn sheep? I'm like, no, 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 no. He said, neither have I. I'm like, okay, what's your point? Let's go to Africa and go on. He's like, no, I want to shoot everything in North America first. 
And that was his, that's, that's his thing. He, he wants to go and hunt everything in North America. He's like, why go somewhere else when I have all these awesome species here? And, you know, I can respect that completely. And if, if any of your listeners have never um, elk hunted, but they have turkey hunted before, uh, I mean, it's like elk hunting is like turkey hunting on steroids with a 700-pound pissed-off deer with swords on its head coming in ready for a fight or a lady. And you're there with a stick and a string. It's incredibly intimidating when you have a big monster mature bull less than 10 yards away and you can't even get to full draw. Talk about shaking. Talk about adrenaline. And and especially when, just like turkey hunting, when you hear them gobble or you hear a elk bugle from a distance and then they start coming and they get closer, they get closer, they get closer. And you know, you guys know, just like fishing, hunting, the anticipation is what is almost as good. It might be better than every other part of the hunt or, or the fishing trip. The anticipation of not only the trip, but the anticipation of the bite or the anticipation of at any moment, a Pope and young buck could walk by right now. Well, when you have a gobbler coming in or an elk coming in and they're bugling the whole way in, that anticipation just builds for that entire time. And it gets to the point where if you can't control yourself, you're just going to fall apart because they, they just, they, they're loud and they, they're impressive. And, and your goal is right in front of you. And you know, it has to be, you have to make the perfect shot. And there's a lot of pressure there, you know, but that's what makes it so absolutely incredible. Well, and it's funny the 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 parallels there because, like, I think with elk, you have so much more from you know from your perspective on the East Coast or even from any anybody that doesn't have elk native where they can buy a, a tag as a resident, uh, you know, mm-hmm. easily. Um, I think you have so much vested in it, where yeah. it, with turkey unless you're traveling out of state and you're trying to, you know, complete a slam or, or, or something like that, you're not as vested in it. And I think honestly, mm-hmm. you, you take it a little bit more for granted. I mean, last year we were like, Oh yeah, turkeys, you know, we, we can call them. We can, you know, run them over my truck. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not, <laughs> not that big of a deal. And then this year, you know, we put, you know, a, a lot of time and effort into it. And John's over here rolling his eyes and, you know, saying, well, I would have fucking made that shot, blah, blah, blah. He was breathing just as heavy as I was. He thought he thought that the turkey was going to be able to hear him breathing. It was. You know what? Maybe they can. So, but, but at the end of the day, you know, I was very disappointed. And I have a, an amazing uh, video to show my uh, mm-hmm. inadequacies, right? But if that would have been what happened on the elk hunt, I'd have been fucking suicidal i feel like i mean i, I mean to, honestly so find the find the closest cliff i'm jumping off that bitch i mean i would have been running through the swarms of bees that were out there saying i'm it's going to be natural this is the way it's going to you know, happen that, that's a good point you know and it, like i said it's like turkey hunting on steroids because the exact things that you said you know 
not often do you have to, when you go turkey hunt, are you going to hike 10, 12, 18, 15 miles in a day, gain 2,000 feet of elevation, you know, literally have to be in the best shape of your life if you really want to push. Now, you know, that, that kind of makes me segue a little bit into, um, you know, a lot of the the celebrity hunters out there, like the Cam Haynes guys and a lot of the folks following the keep hammering deal, um, you know, I'm sure that if you are in the best shape of your life, it's going to give you a little bit of an edge to be able to, you know, get up that mountain and get to that elk and shoot that elk and make a good shot. But buddy, if your two partners who are with you are in terrible shape, you can get up there, <laughs> but if you need your two partners to call for you, <laughs> you're only as good as your team is, right? <laughs> oh, I'm hurt. I feel hurt. I feel that was directed at me. You know, <laughs> believe me, man. My my endurance out there is oh, dude, it's absolutely terrible. I'm not going to lie. I'll be, I'll be the first to admit it, especially that first. Did you guys notice the first couple days are the worst? Like going up, it it takes you a little bit of time to get acclimated, but I never got acclimated. I never did. And I worked my ass off getting out there to try to actually, uh, you know, to be in shape. I mean, I I was running a ton, but I mean, at at 1100 feet of elevation is not 9,000. She's not, you know. Yeah, and see, we were only at 6,500 as high as we were at, so we didn't have the quite the elevation that you did. So, I mean, our first couple of days were rough because with like self-inflicted. Yeah, you know, over overweight packs, and then mm-hmm. just walking into a you know endless field of deadfalls and blowdowns. Yeah, and, you know, self-inflicted was is definitely the term. <laughs> you know, and 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 on those trips, I, I, I tend to, and I'm going again this this fall. I tend to have a pretty light pack. The bulk of my weight is water, and I, I like to take about if I can take more than half a gallon, I'll take more than a half a gallon. If I could take a gallon, I will. But it's usually right around a half a gallon. That's the bulk of my weight. The rest of my pack is very light food that I can do that, that I can take and then strictly survival gear to live out the night because the, the, where we hunt the farthest place, the farthest road, uh, the farthest, absolute farthest someone would have to hike into where I'm hunting is eight or nine miles, which is not look, I can walk eight or I'm, I'm in flip flops right now and I can walk eight or nine miles. You know, I, it would suck at the end, but shit, if you've got somebody trying to, you know, save my life, they're not going to have flip flops on. They can get eight or nine miles. I, I feel like I can survive for a day or so, you know, <laughs> not eating or something, but you know, I, I take the bare minimum survival stuff and, but water is in my opinion, even more important than bringing lots of food because the hydration it's dry out there where I hunt in Colorado. Not I'm not up in the uh, in the Northwest, um, but where I, where I hunt is really dry. So the water is so critical. And I've noticed when I run out of water, I don't know if it's mental or if it's physical, but I crash. 
I crash when I'm out there. The water was critical for me, but I, either way, I'm, I'm saying this like I'm like I'm conquering mountains, and believe me, I'm not. <laughs> In fact, last year we had a guy bad accident. Last year, um, we we had we have two groups that go out at a time, um, three person groups, um, and my group we killed a bull, and the other group came to help and uh, help pack out and they decided well we'll bring a four-wheeler and it's i mean you guys you like you talked about going over dead falls and and just the difficult terrain and um but he's bringing a four-wheeler and we were able to go on this one kind of a sort of a pathway slash road and down to the creek we decided to pack the bull we had to pack it over a ridge which, which was a pain in the ass and then go down to the creek and once we got it to the creek we could get it on the four-wheeler, drive up the creek, and then out this pathway slash road. Well, the guy who brought the four-wheeler, he came came down, and he drove up, and he was right next to the creek and paralleling the creek. And it was one of those creeks with, like, about a six- or eight-foot bank, you know, sheer bank, but right in the bottom is the rocks. Well, as he's driving along the pathway right next to the creek, the bank gave out and the four-wheeler went right down to the creek and tumbled and cartwheeled and fell right on top of it. We're six or eight miles out. So I had to, I, I, we, we all, a couple of, we just sprinted, went over to him. We were able to just adrenaline lift the four-wheeler off of this guy. His leg was mangled and instantly ballooned up like Jack. We knew major emergency, right now i was able to get the four-wheeler up and get it started got it out of the creek and got enough put another guy on my back on the, on the back four wheel we hauled ass back got a truck and got as close as we could and then we had to carry him up to the truck get him to the hospital well the little town that we were in had not a hospital it was like a health center <laughs> and i i air quotes right there when i say health center because when we went in they were like, um, yeah, his leg looks pretty bad, but um, we don't we don't do X-rays here. <laughs> we went. What do you mean you don't do this? Like this is the emergency place. Yeah, yeah, we don't do X-rays here. Like, what do you? Where's the closest place to get X-rays? They were like, it's a couple hours away. Like, holy shit! Where the hell are we at? Are we still in America here? <laughs> I mean, we'd already driven forty five minutes to get to this. Well, long story short, he actually drove at while well, he rode with one of the other guys they took all our gear out he had to ride back with that jacked up leg and a splint up on the dash of the truck from colorado all the way to maryland Holy got shit. back shattered i mean it was shattered it was surgery the whole nine yards that was that was rough man but you know like i was talking about before about like the the difficulties, the, the survival kits and stuff like that. My pack is pretty light because in that situation, if, if my pack would have been too heavy, I'd have dumped it right there to help him to get out. You know, I, I don't, I don't feel like if I was going 50 miles in, like in the Yukon or something, I'd have a big, heavy pack, big, you know, big as possible. But on a hunt like that, where I'm coming in and out every day, it's, it's super light. Water's my main, my main deal. But in elk hunting, damn, I cannot wait to go back. Are you guys going back this year? 
Not this year. No, I think I think next year is the is the plan. Like again, it's the uh, well this year. I don't I don't know. I think my uh, I don't know man card whatever was pulled last year for going elk hunting. <laughs> it's I, called kitchen pass. Well, yeah, oh, yeah. I <laughs> you like burned that. your kitchen pass. I like that better. Um, but yeah, so I did a lot of things <laughs> last year, and so my wife this year was like, hey. You know, we're going to, we're going to go on a cruise with our whole family and I, hell, we went with John's family, um, for, for new years. And then, you know, we do a few trips, you know, for weekend trips here and there. And on the way back for of one of them last year, she's like, Hey, we're going to stop and check out this campground. Oh, I booked it for nine days. So that's, you know, <laughs> two and a half weeks of vacation, just gone. Well, you know, for, for, for what <laughs> family kitchen time. <laughs> yeah, well, you build it up, man. It works. Did did you at least ask her on the cruise if you could bring a bow fishing rig? <laughs> no, and I think that that's John's uh, mo. You know, like you, I'm sure you listened with the last podcast. Is like uh-huh. I mean, he's got fishing rods, fishing rods, fishing rods, surf fishing rods. I mean, hell, the last time I went to Cabo, it was like I called up the guy that John was talking to, and we did a charter of surf fishing um, with the guy that John messages back and forth on what's biting down there. So <laughs> nice. Uh, um, and that is just something that, you know, I, I love when we go anywhere that, that sort of excitement, I think it goes back to the, the, the Africa, the, the Western hunting, the whatever. It's just like, once you get out of like what you're comfortable with, then it's an adventure, and I think that that's the yep. anticipation of the, yes. the the fishing thing. But mm-hmm. here, I, whatever's on the end of that line, I've seen before, and I don't, I'm mm-hmm. not all that excited about you know for for the most part. Where John's over here, just you know, shaking his power to punch him. <laughs> <laughs> well, have, John, have you ever caught snakeheads? No, I have not. Well, the the place that we go, sika deer hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, loaded with snakeheads. I mean, freaking loaded. They hit top waters like crazy, and you can bowfish for them. Really? Oh my gosh! In fact, let's see. What's actually it's next week. Next week, my old man and I we got a boat. It's one of those uh, one of those mud boats, uh, like a long, real super long up. Uh, uh, I don't know. I guess. Shaft or whatever, the shaft, yeah, exactly. Super long shaft prop. You can go in like you know two inches of water, mostly mud, right? Mm -hmm. And we take that back, and it's all public land. We take that back in public land to go sick of deer hunting. Well, you've got to go back in the summertime because um, and 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 cut down pathways and and places to hunt because there's phragmites there. I don't know if you guys have the problems with phragmites that you know we have over here really it's it's everywhere in the world it's phragmites is a common reed and they call it common because it's common throughout the world and it it totally takes over swamplands and waterways that you know where we have natural um native cattails and sedges and things like that well the phragmites come over and just just take over well the cicadier love phragmites absolutely love it it's like 10 12 feet tall and they eat it, they live in it, they will lay down and make a little bed in it. They just love that shit. Well, when you're in a tree 
in the middle of the swamps and you've got phragmites that's 10 or 12 feet around you, you can have a seeker deer, which are tiny. I mean, if you're talking about a, a monster stag on the hoof might be a hundred pounds, maybe, maybe is a hundred pounds. A typical doe field dressed will be maybe 50 pounds, 40, 50 pounds. Delicious to eat though. But anyway, if you're in a tree and you've got the phragmites all around you and it's 10 yards away, no, 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 10 feet away, you can't see it. You can't see it to shoot. 10 feet away from the base of your tree, you can hear it. You can hear them calling because they're miniature elk. You know, they mew like a, the cows will mew. The, 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 uh, the stags will bugle. And it's like a long whistle. It's like a three-note, you know, or, or three different whistles that they'll. It, it, they're just a miniature elk, but they're so they'll be so close to you that you can't see them and can't shoot. It is so friggin' frustrating. So what we do is we'll take that mud boat out. We go a couple miles back into this public land. We've got a couple spots that 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 we hunt that are just fragmites everywhere, but we know there's big stags in there. We'll go in and we cut trails to specific trees. And we found a couple persimmon trees that they like. Um, but it's mainly where you find any dry air, dry spots, and then you clear them out early in the season because you want that phragmites. You want to do it like this time of the year, maybe in, you know, at the latest, maybe, uh, you know, the end of June, because once you clear it down, you cut it with like, like head shears that you would trim bushes with. It gets all the way down flat. You've got these beautiful, you know, trails and beautiful, like, openings around these trees you want to hunt. By the time you come and hunt them in September, that Phragmites has start, started to grow back. And it's like that new growth comes back, and it's like a food plot. Yeah. It is freaking awesome. And the deer, the, those little sicker deer come in and just eat all through that. And then you can actually shoot. I mean, I've literally been you know, feet away from them and you, you just can't, you can't shoot them. You can't see them. It's so frustrating, but I'll say this about those little deer. I'll trade you three white tailed deer full grown for one small sicker deer doe taste wise. <laughs> Every single time that I've given people a taste test, like, okay, here's backstraps, try them. You're going to love them. Which one do you like better? They pick sicker deer every time over whitetail. Every single time. Yeah. So it's at, it's incredible, man. So you, you piqued my interest about the snakehead. So do you are you going to go snakehead fishing or shooting yeah. while you're back there trimming? The, yes, uh, yes, that, yeah. I, I I I totally got off tangent, but on the way out last year when we were when we went out, we took our bow fishing rigs, and we. <sighs> We, we did do some bow fishing on the way out, took a couple shots, but we were more focused on, let's get these trails cut. This year, we're going to try to do a two-day deal where, yeah, we're going to go out and we're going to get the trails cut, but we're bringing fishing rods and we're bringing bow, uh, our bow fishing gear because you're, you're talking about up to 30-plus-inch snakeheads a really big snakehead, 10, 10 pound snakeheads and, and, and up. Um, and they are absolutely delicious to eat. Oh man. They, they were brought over, um, for specifically for food. And I guess they were released in a couple areas around DC, uh, Maryland and those areas. And 
they they have a, a labyrinth, which is like a primitive lung. So they're able to actually get up on land and cross land to get to another body of water that's close by. So they've spread tremendously. And throughout the Potomac River, right all through D.C., um, that used to be a huge um, a bass fishing uh, tournament, you know, uh, it's a huge angling uh, community. And, and like bass masters would come and have these tournaments there uh, just outside of D.C., and people were like, oh, the, the past fishing is going to be gone. Snakeheads are just going to wipe everything out. But it seems like they've actually somehow been able to coexist. Uh, but now, if you want to go out and find a, uh, a charter to go do bass fishing around D.C., um, they'll take you. But they will definitely take you for snakeheads because the snakeheads are aggressive. It's kind of like a – they're almost like pike in their aggressiveness. Um, but they hit top water and they're super, super spooky. I mean, if you come up on them, you just roll up in your boat on them and you've got a big snakehead there. It's gone, man. I mean, it's gone, especially if you're trying to bow fish them. Good luck. You have to, you're hunting them. You know, they're, they're, they're a predator and they know what hunting is. They're, they're tough. They're tough to hunt, but that's a, it's definitely turned into a game fish around here. And, Man, hell of a good deed. I wouldn't eat him out of the Potomac around DC. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I mean, that's like, look, I, I guess they say the, the, uh, the Potomac, I almost said cesspool, which would be appropriate. Uh, the Potomac, um, I think it has like a C or a D rating on, uh, how healthy it is. I wouldn't eat him out of there. But the ones over where we sick a deer hunt on the Eastern shore of Maryland, where, I mean, it's, all that water is filtering through that marsh, the marsh grasses, the phragmites, and all the other cattails and things like that. I would 100% eat them out of there. Yeah, I'm looking at 100%. Up, I, I'm looking at a picture. It reminds me of our dogfish that we have here. But I mean, a, it, a it, dogfish is kind of like a burbot, right? Like a bowfin. I love the burbot. Yeah. yeah, it looks a lot like a, you know, a, um, our dogfish, I don't know what the actual name is. I think they're a version of the burbot. And then if you go up to like Traverse City or like one of the real, real clean areas where they have, you know, real cold, deep um, areas, mm -hmm. they have the, the burbot and they call it the what, poor man's lobster. Burbot or eel pow. I mean, but yeah, we used to shoot the dogfish with our, I mean, I used to carp shoot all the time when I was a teenager. I mean, that's all me and my buddy Jason did. We'd go out all night long, just shoot carp, dogfish, gar, pike, you know, every trash fish available. How but, much fun is that? Oh, man, that was, I mean, we would literally go out, and we couldn't wait till it started getting dark. We'd go get the old boat, put it in. You know, at that time, I lived, you know, just a half mile from the Muskegon Lake, which is our, you know, big lake here in, you know, our hometown. Well, that's the... But it has a channel that goes into Lake Michigan. Yeah, so that's I mean. the that's one of our bigger mm -hmm. inland lakes that connects to Lake Michigan. So you know, I lived short distance from there, so we'd we'd paddle literally paddle all the way around the next lake over, which is Bear Lake, which was connected with a little channel. We'd go all, all the way around Bear Lake one at night, then we'd go through the channel and we'd go halfway around Muskegon Lake and then come all the way back. And that's with and a we lantern. Just, with a lantern. This was back before we, you know, the guys had all the lights. We'd have a lantern and we'd have to put tinfoil. 
we'd have a lantern stuck on a two by four with a nail in the end. And there was literally nights where we burned it off and almost lost the lantern. So then we had to wrap the two, the two by four with tin foil. So we wouldn't burn that fucker up, you know, <laughs> but I mean, we just like, go for, you hours. can't make up a story like that. Like you literally did that. Like yeah. you can't make that up. But yeah. Well, we had, we had to wrap that uh, two by four in tin foil. Cause uh, we were going to burn it up. My, yeah. my co-host is, is Huck Finn. You didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, where's your raft, man? How many miles was that? Oh man. It was, it literally, we'd, we'd go at, we'd leave at like nine 30 when it was just starting to get, you know, the sun was starting to go down or setting and we wouldn't get back till daylight. You know, we'd go yeah. all night long. Gosh, that's so much fun. Now, not... now, have you ever, have you ever bow fished for a skate or a stingrays? No, I have not done that. Oh my gosh, dude. You guys need to come down. <laughs> you need to come down do a little, come down. Just we'll, we'll shoot stingrays and, and, and count as rays for a couple of days in summertime. And then you need to come down to uh to, to hunt sick deer in the fall oh man that would it'll be, be the, the the rays oh my gosh that that is a lot of fun man because I mean, you come up on them and you 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 shoot one and if you just tie to a buoy and let the buoy go and just let it go and just keep track of it it'll go back with a pod and oh. then you get up to the buoy and then you've got a whole bunch more to shoot at so you can get a couple more couple at a time and they fight like crazy i actually prefer to shoot the small ones i'm not gonna lie like those those ones that are like car hoods nah i'll let somebody else shoot them (laughs) (laughs) they'll just beat you to death man i like to shoot the ones that are about the size of a football because then you can just pick them up but uh no they're great on a smoker too uh but man they're fun they are so much fun to shoot absolutely a blast and i don't know if you guys shoot much uh traditional gear but you know we typically use you know trad bows and we do it or you know uh compounds that will, will knock the weights way down um but it's all instinctive there's no yeah no we're sense. not yeah yeah i mean it's when you're shooting at you know five or ten feet yeah at, at something the size of a bushel basket if you miss it you can get you can get ribbed and people can tease you and it's like oh well I'm gonna shoot it at another one. Right. That's a blast, man. But when you hit them and you don't spine them and they take off, you better not grab that line, buddy, because you're <laughs> gonna get a rope burn. <laughs> you're getting a rope burn. So you either you either throw a uh, a buoy out, like a sometimes people use buoys, but if you want to go a little redneck you just get a tide bottle or something like that that's gonna float <laughs> it's empty you know <laughs> but or if you're really really brave you can take that line and strip a bunch out of your bow fishing rig and wrap it around a cleat if you can throw like a like a flying hitch or something like that if you're really good and then it'll just yank on the boat but i i like to i like to let them go because <laughs> i've been burned before but they're a blast man they're they are gosh they're a lot of fun it's usually hot as hell though yeah. <laughs> you know you're sweating your ass off but it's fun my uh my bow fishing experience is much like my duck hunting experience which is like i see one or two and uh again it's one of those eh, statue of limitations type things maybe but i could have won the fucking <laughs> yak and bass challenge with the fucking <laughs> <laughs> bow fishing deal <laughs> 
because <laughs> whoops, <laughs> they all look the same under shitty lights. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> like what you know. We speaking of that. I, I wanted to tell you guys this story after I heard that. Um, when I was a kid, uh, we were fishing on the Patuxent River in Maryland, and um, my dad and I were catfishing. And he decided to walk up river, and because my uncle's brother or someone was up there, and so I and I caught this fish, and I didn't know what it was. It was white and black and these black stripes on it. I'm like, well, this is a cool looking fish. I had the, I had the, the, the knowledge, enough knowledge, even as a kid to go, I don't know if I can keep this one or not. So I filled a bucket with water and stuck it in the bucket of water. And my dad came back. I'm like, dad, I caught, I caught a fish. It's a big fish too. I caught it, caught this fish and it was all bent up in this five gallon bucket. And he looked, he said, throw that, throw it back, throw it back, throw it back. I'm like, why? He's like, that's a rockfish. There's a moratorium on them. They're trying to bring them back, and you're catching them trying to kill them, asshole. (laughs) He made made me throw that thing back. I'm like, and now, man, they're delicious to eat. And I'm looking back going, you call me an asshole. (laughs) I was trying to keep that fish. (laughs) At least you got them back alive, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 It it sort of swam away. He wasn't tucked up under the front of the boat. (laughs) You know, statute of limitations. Right. Let's say this. There's someone who I know who's uh, related to me, directly related to me, who, when he was a kid, um, trout fishing, he decided that the limit was uh, a little too low. And he had his stringer, and he filled his stringer, but he was still catching fish, so he continued to catch them, and filled his hip waders up with trout trout are trout and as he was as he <laughs> walked out to, as he as he kind of stepped out stiff-legged out to the uh to the to the truck where i almost gave that away where his father was um his his father said what are, why are you walking like that did you fall in he said no i've got a bunch of trout stuck in my waders he told him either you get in the truck right now or you go put all those fish back and he sat in that truck, and then his father went back fishing. He made him sit in the truck with his <laughs> waders, <laughs> with his fish, him as punishment. Oh, man. I'm not going to say who that was. <coughs> Dad. <coughs> Dad. <coughs> yeah, I mean, that that whole statute of limitations thing, but I, I mean, we, you can't, like, promote some of the stuff that goes on or had had went on involved with this podcast. And I think (laughs) I'm trying, I can't get the problem is, is I can't get it on record is there is a very popular member of this podcast, not present tonight that has the best stories in the world. (laughs) There is probably one of the funniest bow fishing stories that isn't exactly a bow fishing story that involves John's dad and and Frank, but it's like I can only put that like on Patreon or something where where like I cannot just make it public record, you know. Um, Statue limitations. Know, we're all uh, you guys are the same way I am. We I, I stick to the law. If I, if I make a mistake, 
I'm going to turn myself in immediately, you know, and, and, and there are times when we are hunting in these urban settings on kill permits where, I mean, it, it, and this does happen, especially right now, this is the prime time of the year for these mistakes to happen. Our kill permits for white-tailed deer are antlerless only typically. Okay. Um, and I mean, we're in May, almost in June. So not many people are hunting deer in May and June. And we have these permits written by the conservation officers. Well, sometimes it gets a little late in the evening. Deer comes in. You put the t- That's why I use 10-tire binoculars bow hunting, even from a stand or a saddle, because I need to be able to see if it's a buck or a doe. Well, Sometimes you can put those 10 powers on and maybe not see. You're like, oh, yeah, you're, you're good. And you shoot a deer, and it has these little nubs on it. And you're like, fuck. Well, you call the CPO. They come out. And and you just say, you know, I'm either going to accept a ticket, just take it like a man, or they're going to say, you know, it's an honest mistake under these cir- circumstances. And... You know, they, they say process the deer and we're good to go. You know, and that, that does happen sometimes. It's rare that 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 folks that, that we know who hunt these kill permits shoot, you know, the, the wrong deer. Yeah, it is very rare, but it does happen. I mean I, Taylor and I have we we've hunted a lot and we've we've killed so many so many deer that we can tell when a you know if it's a shed buck, even if it's a young shed buck, doesn't matter. When it comes in June, we can tell. Well, in shit in June, they've already got antlers, but you know, even earlier May and things like that, we can we can tell body wise, you just just from experience. But a lot of the people who come into suburban hunting, um, you know, don't have that don't have that experience. And it, it's it, the only way to gain that experience is to shoot couple hundred deer right and to be that close to hundreds of deer you know to really 100 percent know low light situations i know exactly what that deer is but shit you know like we were talking about statue limitations damn it's like everyone has a story you know and and i I think what you guys want to promote what i want to promote is you know if you do make a mistake you know just own up to it you're not gonna you're not gonna die you know, you're not going to lose your hunting privileges forever if you make a mistake. You right. take your lumps, you take it, you learn from it, you move on. And, you know, don't hide it. Just, you know, own up to it. That That's that's the message that I would give. That's the message that I would teach my kids and tell anyone who's listening to the podcast or anyone who's asking me about hunting. You know, if you make a mistake, take your lumps. Turn yourself in, take your lumps. It's all good. You know, Uh it, Damn, they, they come up with some funny stories, though. <laughs> Especially the ones where you don't use names. <laughs> well, I mean, like this year, I sh- I shot that deer in the CWD zone, and we just got shit-faced drunk and took it home out of the CWD zone. And I was talking to one of my buddies who doesn't hunt, and he was going up for a two-day rifle hunt. And I'm like, dude, you know there's different rules this year. And I was like, googling like where he was going to be and then i was like son of a bitch i was like fuck you know i was in that area i totally did what i'm telling you not to do (laughs) 
So then I called Frank, and Frank's like, you didn't shoot it there. I'm like, fucking, yes, I did. Like, I can't <laughs> not, you know. And he's like, well, who knows? And I'm like, well, fucking, I have a platform to, you know. And I try to be as open as possible because I don't, I'm not the greatest hunter in the world. I mean, I, I'm in there running for the world's worst bow hunter, it turns out. Um, so it's, <laughs> it's, it's, you know it's not like I'm worried about people like looking for my fucking Honda element parked somewhere. It's, it's, you know, if I'm just a regular guy, so I'm saying, yeah, Hey, this, I shot this buck. I'm fucking excited about it. And then, well, fuck, I just broke the rules. So I called up the CEO and I didn't realize it until right now as I'm, as I'm thinking back about this, because what I was thinking about during the whole podcast was, you know, when you took your daughter for the permission for turkeys, I'm like, my fucking daughter will wow the shit off anybody. <laughs> I can tell you what, <laughs> she'll tell you that a fucking a girl turkey goes, yelp, yelp, yelp. And a, a fucking <laughs> boy turkey goes, gobble, gobble, gobble. And, <laughs> and you know, I can get permission anywhere now it turns out. And I didn't realize it, but I packed up my daughter and went and grabbed the buck and I took it to the station and said, hey, this is what the deal is. And it just, I got people that didn't really know that what they were doing at the thing and they just let me take it back out of the the, the zone again. Um, but I, I had all the proper documentation, but it's like exactly what you're saying is like, I, in no way was it my intention to be like, you're gonna break the I'm gonna again. break the rules. And then once I realized I did, it would have been very easy for me to be like, Oh uh, uh, it was fine. No one's gonna know. No one's gonna know. But I don't I mean, that's the whole I mean well, you know, from my upbringing from the Marines, from everything, is like you fucking do the right thing even when nobody's looking and then things start to fall in your favor. It's, it's funny how it works that way, but it's like, if you're a stand up person, like it kind of turns out okay for you generally. I mean, and that's the definition of integrity. It's yeah. doing the right thing. Even when it doesn't matter, when, when, when no one else knows when, when it doesn't matter to anyone else, if you do the right thing, no matter what that, that is integrity. And I, I think that is, that is, I think that's inherent in the hunting culture, right? I think that's just um, the people who I grew up with, the people, the hunters who I looked up to growing up, they had integrity. And I can't even say it was the hunters. It was the people who I grew up with. And I was very fortunate. My, my father and my grandparents, they, they, they hadn't, my, you know, my whole family, they, they have integrity. And, and I, I was, lucky enough to be able to em try to emulate that. I mean, try, you know, I can, I can only, I can only try to, to, to do as well as, as they've done, but man, that integrity is critical. And, and like you said, you brought your daughter, you know, and she's probably too young at that point to, to, she won't remember that, but you'll tell the story later on. And that story, the, the message that goes back to her is that my dad had integrity. He came back he, he made a mistake. He came back and, and tried to make it right. And, and that's, that's, what's important. That, that is absolutely critically important to, you know, our heritage as hunters and raising our kids that way too. That's just, I think it's critical. 
So, and that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about from the fucking onset of this whole thing is, you know, I completely understand like what you're saying um, with your children and the whole crossbow fetish that you have. But are your <laughs> it tradi- is a dirty fetish? Isn't it? <laughs> are, are your? I mean, John's over here going, Jesus Christ! What an <laughs> asshole! <laughs> well, John, I'm not busting you on your fetishes that you told me about at ATA. When all these girls came up and they were talking about paying you money for the stuff that you do, and I said, "No, I don't want to see that." Like, I'm not, I'm not busting your balls for that. But, oh, but yeah. what, 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 what was it? The stripping with the leather? No, never mind. Anyway, I'm sorry, Adam. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean oh, to interrupt. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I got to deal with that. Those text on a daily basis and the i mean instagram <laughs> dms i'm like i know i know it but you need to john b 121 slide into his dms yeah, not mine not me i know he said he doesn't check his facebook but he's all over his own instagram um but uh you know from from that traditional standpoint i mean you grew up with um you know some pretty hardcore mentors and it looks like from the traditional community and and to start from traditional and then are they you know does that resonate with you saying like okay this is the way that i was taught and this is the way that i'm teaching my girls and then one of the things i listened to on ronella's podcast and it like i don't know if you listen to the podcast about um the biologist that was attacked by the grizzly um, and one badass chick, um, for she's more of a man than probably ninety nine percent of the men out there. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as her, like grit to be like, well, you know, uh, Grizzly just cracked my skull, and <sighs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna walk back the two or five miles or whatever it is to the truck, and it, it, it's fine, it's fine. Um, but, but what the, the statistic that they said is that like, you know, the majority of women hunters didn't have a brother or anything like that. And what they're alluding to is that the dads felt like they had to, you know, that was their, if they were going to have a hunting buddy, it was going to be their daughter versus the, the other way around. You know, if they had a brother, then, I mean, my wife is. You know, she's it's one boy, one girl. She's the oldest. She was never involved in hunting until she was, you know, 25 years old or, or whatever. And my brother-in-law's, you know, been involved since since day one. Um, so for you, is the crossbow that way to get them involved as well? Or, I mean, I'm just thinking of, like, how do you yeah. view it versus, like, how do you, how do you think your your mentors would view the, the crossbow thing? And like, Yeah, no, I, I, I hear what you're getting at. I, I, I taste what you're cooking. <laughs> um, I and my mentors would look at this situation and do look at the situation of me shooting a crossbow, especially with my family, with my daughters, as hell yeah, great job. You're getting them involved. You're exposing them. And then let them decide what they want to do later on. My 10-year-old daughter said to me when we came back, she said, Dad, um, I want a vertical bow this year. Can you get me one? 
Nah, she's probably sleeping now. I can tell her. Well, her birthday's on Sunday and for her birthday on Sunday, you know. So she has no problem shooting a gun, shooting a you know, crossbow. It was it was the more of the introduction. I thought that I felt as though the introduction to hunting and to archery was better to do it with a crossbow at a young age because my kids started started hunting at eight and. I knew they couldn't, they did, they wouldn't have the strength to draw back 40 plus pounds at eight years old. I wanted to get them involved, you know, early. I thought, I, I feel for my children, different for all kids, um, that eight years old around that age was good for them. And if they weren't strong enough to pull back a, a, a bow, whether it's trad bow or compound, well, I want I want them to be archers, so I said crossbow next best thing, and that was that's that's how I really got into uh, crossbow hunting, you know, with with my kids. Now, I have it's just like John, you talked about hell. You you fish more than you hunt, you know. I I'm 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 not. I'm not prejudiced on different ways to hunt or different ways to fish or anything like that. I would prefer my, my favorite way to go and hunt any animal would be to take one of my longbows or one of my recurves and hunt specifically, you know, spot and stalk. But, you know, we talked about it earlier. I'm a really busy dude. I don't have, (laughs) I don't have the time you know, and my kids don't have the time with all the activities they do to be able to devote a hundred percent to, okay, we're only going to do traditional archery and be traditional archers. I would love that. That'd be my, that's ideal. Um, but I'm not an idealist. I don't want, I don't want to just go, okay, we're doing full traditional. You guys all have to shoot traditional and then you have to be proficient enough to shoot, to, to hunt but we only get to practice one or two days a week. You know, that that's a disservice to my kids. So if I get to practice one or two days a week with a crossbow and my kids can, or I'm sorry, my kids can, you know, practice uh, one or two days a week with a crossbow, well, they're going to be extremely efficient at shooting a crossbow. I, I personally, just my opinion is my, my, uh, my ability uh, that, that I'm basing this on. If I shot my compound one or two days a week, I don't think that would be enough for me to be proficient enough to hunt. Some people are different. Some people can just, you know, hunt, just, I'm sorry, just target shoot, you know, once a week or once every couple weeks and they're good. I, I'm just not that type of person. I need, I need to shoot a little more. I, I just, I feel like I need more intimate knowledge of my equipment my body, I, I, I need to be able to shoot. So if my kids um, can't shoot more than one time a week, well then I, I've got to, I've got to make it a little bit easier for them. And, and I hate to say it, but you know, the, as busy as we are, we talked about this earlier, you know, the, the many things that we have going on in our lives, um, we, we try to make things easier. And I, I don't think that's always the best thing. But I would rather my kids hunt and have some type of archery 
crossbow hunting than to not do it at all or to go strictly to gun hunting. And I don't have anything wrong with gunning. I'll, I'll hunt with a gun, no problem. Uh, but I prefer archery. I prefer that close in distance. I mean, you know, it's, I, I, I think the point is that would my father, my grandfathers and would, would the other mentors that I have who love archery, love traditional archery, would they look down upon me or my daughters for doing what we do hunting with a crossbow, um, under the circ- certain situation that we're in, I would say no. And I would, I would say emphatically, I would say no, because we're trying to introduce our kids. We're trying to get them involved. We're trying to, you know, that's more important than the way you do it is, is, uh, no, I take that back. Not the way you do it, but, um, the method that you use to hunt, I think, I think hunting and getting involved is more important than the method. Right. They can make the decision later on whether they want to go, Hey, I'm going all out, you know, 300 blackout, you know, (laughs) subsonic rounds with my AR and that's all I shoot. Or if I go straight trad bow, self bow that I make. And, you know, my brother, my brother is in the process of making his own bows and he's going all the way super traditional, which he's going to flint nap the whole nine yards, make his own arrows, the whole deal. I think that's awesome, but that takes a shitload of time, man. I mean, yeah, it's a major. He's got a family. I don't know how he's going to do it, but that's his goal. You know, I, I think you have to balance your time with what you want and be realistic with, you know, where you're really going to fall. Well, I and, think that's that's the point. And I think what's what's good about that, and I, I it's it's hard. Um, you know, we have not really delved into the topic too much about crossbows because it's not anything that we're really into. Um, yeah. But, but I haven't really um, pursued a whole lot of the traditional side of it either because that's kind of not who we are. And, and mm-hmm. to, to be um, completely transparent, I feel like on one level, like we're not telling the whole bow hunter story. Um, because, you know, there's going to be, uh, people that have either some sort of limitation and they're going to be using a crossbow and it's going to be for all the right reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, but our perspective, you know, to, to a degree is that it makes, and it's, it's completely biased, but it puts more people in the woods. Maybe that shouldn't be. Um, it's the shotgun of the bow hunter community. Mm-hmm. So, you know, every Tom, Dick and Harry that goes out with the 30, 30 or 30 out six that they haven't shot in a whole year or the, since the last time they shot at a deer, um, now does the same thing with the $299 crossbow off the shelf. And so to, to talk to someone who, um, like I said, yeah, I can bust your balls all day about like, <laughs> it, it's your, it's your dirty little secret. Um, but from a traditional background, you know, 
going through all that and using it as a, a teaching tool and, and all of those things are all the right reasons. And the traditional side is that, you know, it, you can say, well, compound archery or archery or bow hunting in general is more difficult because you're going to be closer and whatever. But unless you napped your own broadheads and spit the fucking sinew mm-hmm. between your teeth mm-hmm. and tied it on there mm-hmm. and, and, and cut the willow and burned it and did the whole mm-hmm. thing, you know, there's always going to be somebody that's going to shoot a bigger buck that's going to fucking make their own shit that's going to, you know, have done it a, a harder way than you did. Um, so the the whole... And I think it goes back to social media. I think like what you were talking about is that, you know, your mentors would totally say, yeah, get them involved any way you could. And at the time, these were the tools that we had and this is what we knew. So this is the way that we did it. And going back, we had a, a, you know, we can do anything we want to in this country, however we want to. So why not give them every opportunity? Right. And like, Mm -hmm. I'm not. I mean, yeah, I, I don't care for crossbows, whatever. I mean, maybe if I shot one, I'd start, you know, liking it like you do. But, <laughs> <laughs> but no, but, but like when we were growing up, obviously they weren't legal. So, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah. that, that wasn't an opportunity. What Had it been legal, we probably would have, you know, our dads, you know, because we couldn't we couldn't legally start hunting until we we're twelve, and that's probably part of the reason Michigan. I don't I don't know the the exact reason why, but other states, you know, you can start hunting at eight years old or whatever. But back when we started, we had to be twelve years old to start bow hunting, and then it was fourteen years old in the state of Michigan to start gun hunting. Well, you know, at twelve years old, we were getting to the point where we could you know draw a bow back. That was. Sh- could be legal or lethal you know lethal enough to kill a deer but you know now with a crossbow you could definitely have a lethal ethical killing machine for someone that's you know 8 10 12 years old one four years old i mean <laughs> right. i've seen so many times kids kids are four years old now look I, they're not my kids so i'm, I'm not going to comment on that my kids, like I said earlier, eight years old, I, you know, that was, and you know what? I still feel like that. God, it's young, you know, and <clears throat> with crossbows, you know, Adam, you said something earlier that, that, that kind of resonated. And you said, because this was, and, and that's based on, from what I said, it was based on um, the, the previous uh, laws uh, about crossbows. Like you had to have some type of an injury. Mm-hmm. or a disability in order to use a crossbow, okay? So let's put that into a kid's hands. Well, if a kid isn't strong enough to pull back a bow, does that mean they can't participate in the bow hunting season? Oh, yeah, you know? and I, I, I totally get it. You know, our, our, our I mean, if you, you obviously have been following the podcast and, and you know, we appreciate that, but... Mm-hmm. The the thing is, is that like with the our youth season in Michigan being taken over by the dads and um, what do, all, what do you mean by that? Well, we have in Michigan we have an early season for youth. And yeah, 
It's, it's any weapon. It's any weapon, depending on yes. private or Same public. Same in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and it's, yeah, I think we actually talked about it with Wes. Yeah, from the release podcast yeah. and then with the guys from Pennsylvania, too. Yeah, yeah, I think I missed that. But, yeah, so, you know, I mean, but a lot of it, it's, it's kind of like a double-edged sword, I think, anyway, where some kids go out and their dad's done all the homework. They, like, you know, they know this mm-hmm. buck. Here's his monster buck, and he's patterned now. He's got his, you know, southern pattern. And mm-hmm. they go out, and it's a week or whatever it is, two it's weeks. September 15th. Yeah, it's September. the opening day of uh, small game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're talking two weeks before the opener, you know, the a regular archery opener. And they go out, and, you know, these kids go out one day, shoot a monster buck, probably biggest buck they'll ever shoot in their life. And then mm-hmm. it's either got them hooked or it's got them to the point like, well, they're, jaded. they're let down. They're like, they're jaded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, it's kind of a double-edged sword for me. I yes. one time mm-hmm. took my son, you know, we never killed anything. We just, I just took him out like, Hey, you want to go hunting? Or, you know, just, just to get out and do it. But it wasn't like I'd went out and scouted this area and had this big buck pattern. It was nothing like that. It was just like, let's go hunt. And, mm-hmm. But then after that, it was like, you know, you're 12 years old, you take your hunter safety, we're going to go and hunt the way I started hunting, same way, you know, get up the tree stand. And so, and so for me, I think that that's the thing is like, I, I, and it, it, it's a, it's a great discussion and it's Pandora's box because in a day and age, like where the first, uh, sick deer I ever saw was somebody posted it up a picture and then it was just like why would you shoot that 80 pound 75 pound spike you bambi killer blah 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 and this was Mm -hmm. in a closed group of like legit hunters Mm -hmm. that had never seen you know that species of deer before (laughs) but you want to talk about like new hunter recruitment hunter numbers declining all of these things um you know i that that's why i was heading down that that path is saying like i completely respect like your answer the way that that you talked about it and the whole thing because i completely get that but i think everything is so fucked up here in Michigan with our rules, mindset, hunters, pressure, competition, um, that, you know, personally, I'm jaded, you know, Mm -hmm. that's the thing is, well, you killed two bucks this year. Yeah. Fuck. (laughs) And I know, and I'm, I'm a fucking hypocrite because I, (laughs) we're talking talking about, you know, give me one buck tag and give us one buck tag. And then this clown shoots too. (laughs) You know, and, and and I, uh, I was told today, um, and I'm, I'm a fucking complete asshole, like on the podcast, outside of work, the whole thing. Like I, Yep. Tell Welcome it, to the club, buddy. Tell it the way that it is, and you know, I I fucking put a sign on the door when I was fucking twenty years old or something like that. I said, "I have enough friends. I don't need you. If you don't like me, fuck off." Like that's mm-hmm. the way that I completely live my life because I I don't have time. I we've discussed it. Like I don't have time to piss around with like well, trying to please people. I really don't care. Um, 
but that's Look, we have a finite we have a finite you know window of time that we're here you know so you know i can i i could going back to like crossbows versus trad you know i could totally get all my kids say you're only shooting trad bows and you know and then maybe they burn out and and then they don't like it i don't want to take that risk you know and so we only have a finite time and, and you know you like just like you said you know i haven't i have my friends i'm doing my thing i'm i'm gonna move on and and you know you have to live your life now because we only have one Oh, oh, for sure. But, but that's what I said. Like, it ultimately, is self awareness, and so I know that I'm a hypocrite because I killed two bucks this year, and, and <laughs> but they allowed me to, and the second one just happened to be the biggest buck I've killed in Michigan, and I, I don't, I, I, I don't know. I had had that opportunity, and I wouldn't have traded it for the world because I killed those bucks with my brothers, and and that that was more important to me the the first the smaller buck was more important to me than the the second one but because you were with your brothers my well my my one brother killed a, a buck in the morning i missed a buck in the morning and then my brother um who doesn't hunt and he has uh, he hunts but it is an a way to get off of work it's a deer camp experience it's a it's a shit show uh no, I mean he is like he's it's there. A vaca- oh, it's, just, so it's, it's a vacation. vacation. He wants oh, the, he yeah, wants well, the experience. And, I don't blame him. And he's he's killed that that was the second deer he's ever killed with a bow. Um mm-hmm. and you know those two you know killed deer in the morning and I missed and I felt like completely like let down <laughs> cuz like we've never Mm-hmm. With a rifle, killed deer all on the same day. Let alone, you know, with a bow, and you know, for so for you one of my brothers, done it. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so in the evening, the, a deer that was legal for the area we were hunting come in. Uh, I don't. I mean, he, he read the script that I uh, had set up, and I shot and killed him, and you know, that was the coolest day for our family. You know, the only thing that would have been better is my sister killed one on that day too. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, to, to be honest, but like, it was awesome. And I would, I would trade that buck for the buck that I killed, you know, later, but it was more about the experience. And so, you know, and sharing if, with your family, right? Right. I mean, it, it, it doesn't really matter. And it, that whole I think that encompasses more of the the hunter mentality versus the killer mentality. I, I don't know. I mean, so so you bring up a really good point, and I, I, I I've never actually talked to anyone about this. So when Taylor and I, you know, with this with with hunt urban and with with all these deer that we take out of the herd in these super, super overpopulated areas. Okay. It becomes not, not, not a job, right. But it's like, you know, we're individuals, so we don't always hunt together. You know, a lot of times we're hunting solo, you know, you shoot a deer by yourself, you know, it, it's not the same as if you shot it on the special opening day weekend 
that is a tradition with your family and all of your buddies and your brothers and your father and your families around and everyone gets to celebrate over it. It's totally different when you shoot a deer d- during a, during a family traditional hunt than it is if you're going out in July and at 10 o'clock at night, you finally recover your deer because it gets, it gets dark at nine 30 and you recover your deer at 10 o'clock and you get home at 1130 and you're butchering a deer until one or two in the morning by yourself. It's a job at that point. And you know, it's, 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 it's glamorous to say, yeah, you know, you know, I, I shot a, 180 inch buck or i you know i shoot a you know 70 deer a year or you know i you know i do this and that the what's really glamorous i think internally is when you share it with your friends you share it with your family you share it with your brothers you share it with your best buddies that's those are the most beautiful moments in hunting that's 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 where hunting came from and that's where i'm what, with my family, what I'm trying to do with my family, like, like I said earlier, I can, I can jade the, have them jaded on this is the only way you're allowed to hunt, or I can say you can hunt any way you want because opening day of gun season, we're all going out with bows. If you want to take a rifle, you're more than welcome. You can take a muzzle loader, crossbow, I don't care. You want to take a compound, you want to take a trad bow, no problem. We're all hunting. And then we get to all bring that together as a family. But I'm I'm so glad that you brought that up because it really, I've been thinking about that for a long time. There's a guy, there's one guy who's, who's in a, um, he's, he's in a, uh, a culling organization in the DC area. A good friend of mine. I love this guy. He's, he's actually a former director with the CIA. He has killed, and I'm not shitting you, it's documented, I have all the data, 650 deer with a bow in the past 10 years. (laughs) 650 deer with a bow in 10 years. All legal, 100%, 100% legal, all on kill permits or his own tags that he's bought because we have unlimited tags that we can buy. You know, it's just eighteen dollars, and you get six more uh, antlerless tags. <clears throat> I just wonder, and I love the guy to death. I just wonder, is he still getting the joy out of it? <laughs> That's a lot. See, of I, don't, deer. I don't think that though. I mean, oh, what's, oh, oh, let, let I, me let me let me say this. I one was thing. saying, is he chasing something, or is he? I mean, is he fighting demons? I mean. You know, maybe. I mean, he's like I said, he's a, he was former director with the. Uh, with a CIA government agency, and he, he, you know, he's he fought, yeah, he fought demons. He, he he's fought um, terrorist demons for mm-hmm. the past few decades. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure he has. Hell of a guy, and you wouldn't know it, but I mean, he's a, uh, he's lethal, man. He's 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 legit. But I just wonder if he's he's got to be enjoying it, but it's not the same. You know, and he still goes, he's got a place in Texas that he uh, bought a place in Texas, and that's where he goes with his family to go hunt. And they still, so he's still hunting down there, you know, but it's like, I just, I don't know, I don't know if he's getting the enjoyment, the same enjoyment 
that you got out of that buck that you shot that evening when your other brothers had shot their deer the earlier in the day, is he getting that same enjoyment? You know, probably not, especially by himself, hundred percent by himself. No one's there. He's, he shoots the deer. He field dresses it. He loads it in his truck by himself. He goes home, butchers it by himself or gives it away. You know, I, I wonder about that, man. I, I think, you know, if, if there's anything in hunting that I would want to save, it wouldn't be necessarily the, you know, the type of hunting we do. It would be the traditions and the, the, the family, the camaraderie. That, that's what I would want to save. The, the most productive times that I've ever hunted in my life, when I, when I say productive, I mean numbers of deer on, when I'm, you know, culling deer and things like that. Most productive times has been when I'm doubled up with a teammate, a, a, a friend, a hunting partner, Taylor, and another guy, Kevin, that I used to hunt with a lot. I mean, when, when we hunted together, we were the most productive, having that hunting partner. And it... I think the production was only a that that was a that was a um, a byproduct of the enjoyment that we had, the fun that we have. I mean, I can't I can remember a handful, just a handful of the deer that I've killed. You know, in in that in the culling organization, because I mean, you're culling, you're 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 it's numbers, you're just racking numbers up. I can remember a handful of them if I just start thinking about them, but I can remember hundreds and hundreds of stories of times that we've had, that I've had with these guys that have buddies of mine that are just, that I'll never forget. that are just a blast. You know, I, I think that's what I want my kids. That's, I'm trying to get their friends involved in hunting and their, their friends, parents involved, because I want my kids to have that. Cause look, in my opinion, hunting is not killing. You guys, I, I I know you guys, you're not, it's like, oh yeah, I killed, I win. It's not that. It's, you know, you just said your, your favorite buck, Adam, was the, you know, the one that you shared with your family. That's what it's about. It's about sharing and, and not bragging, but sharing and, and, and enjoying it with each other. That That's what hunting's about, you know, and eating it, by the way, damn it. <laughs> well, and uh, here's. Uh, the, the problem that we have here right now is that Billy, I could talk to you for ever in a day and we definitely need to do this again. We're running up on two hours here. And so oh, I want to, yeah, and it, it, but that's the beauty of starting it, you know, from as soon as you get on the line, um, yeah, for real. You, you, you get that. And, uh, to be honest with you, I'm like, mm, I have like one third of a beer. John has no beer in the garage. So, um, I gotta, I gotta bring this thing to a close. Uh, but what I want to end with is I'm going to start with John and then I want to go to you, Billy. I may bounce that back to you and then I'll finish and uh, we'll close out this thing. But right where we're at right now is I want to know like what John, what was your most memorable hunt? Kill, no kill, quail, carp, fucking elk, whatever. Um, and then Billy, and then I'll, I'll finish up, but it kind of goes back to what we're saying here is it doesn't matter if you 
killed something or whatever, but what's the most memorable hunt that you've ever been on? Shoot. I, I'd have to say it's probably my, uh, the one that comes to mind right now, probably because of turkeys, but my first turkey ever killed was with my dad and I and Frank. And we told the story on here before, but, you know, I was supposed to, it was my first bird. You know, my dad killed a bunch of birds before that. And we ended up, we hunted all day and it was freaking, you know, nothing going, nothing going. All of a sudden the storm's coming in. And as soon as it started thundering, man, the birds just lit up and it ended up three jakes come in. And I was supposed to shoot, the, you know, I'm supposed to shoot first because I had the 12 gauge. And where we just piled up in this brush pile on the edge of this field, I couldn't get my gun over to, there was a tree right in front of me. I couldn't get that long barrel over to where the birds were at. And my dad's laying next to me saying, shoot, shoot. I'm like, I can't, shoot, I can't. And all of a sudden, here goes the 10 gauge. And he just (laughs) rolls his bird. So I just jump up and run out of that brush pile. You know, I don't suggest running with the 12 gauge guys, but, (laughs) but I did. And I got on that field by that time. And this might be another thing that people are like, oh, you can't shoot a turkey when it's flying. But (laughs) at this point, this bird was like 55 yards and he was just getting off the ground. And I, you know, put the lead on him right. And, and he went down and I, you know, ran out there. I'm like, I got him. They're like, go get him. So I ran out there and, He's still alive. And I'm like, what do I do? They're like, ring his neck. So I grab a hold of this bird, and it's just just beating the shit out of me, and they're <laughs> laughing. And as soon as I get back, man, that's when the, it just started pouring down rain. There's still pictures of us. We look like we had just jumped in the lake. And and so <sighs> why was that your most memorable hunt? What what, what Just because, I mean, and I was just saying, it was just a Jake, you know. But it was my first bird, and it was with my it was with my dad. And my uncle Frank, you know, boom. I mean, yeah, memorable. I would take that all day. I'd love that. I would love to have lived that. And then for you, because it sounds like from the onset of hunting till, um, you know, if you say warthog, you shit your pants. Um, (laughs) (laughs) there's been a myriad of memorable moments. All right. I've got one that comes to me right now. I've got a fucking million hunting stories, but this one comes to me right now um, because it was embarrassing for me. It wasn't too embarrassing, but a little bit. So my my dad and I went out bow hunting, and I was a kid. I was maybe 11 years old, 10, 10, 11 years old. And I was shooting a brand new Rage of a a, uh, compound bow, PSE something or other. I don't remember what it was. And I had the Chuckett Broadheads, which I think they may have fallen apart when you shot them. I don't know, but they, they look <laughs> cool. Okay, so I'm sitting at the base of this gigantic tulip poplar, okay? My dad is about 30 yards to my left in a, in a tree stand, a climbing tree stand. And he's like, he, he told me before, he said, look, it was early season. Leaves on the trees and everything. He said, these deer... They come right through this funnel. It was a funnel of trees between two big fields. And when they get to the corner of the field, they either go to the soybean field or go to the cornfield. Like they, they go to one or the other. But we're going to be, we're going to beat them to the field. We're going to beat them to that corner. We're right inside that funnel. I said, all right, no problem. 
well, like a dum-dum, I sat down against the tree, butt against the tree. It's difficult to shoot a bow sitting down with your legs straight out from under you. I learned that that day. Well, the squirrels were all all over the place and they're just you know and i'm kind of getting bored playing with my playing with my bow you know twiddling with the the feathers on my arrows and looking at my broadheads and i look up at my dad and i can see him you know he's he's doing a motion with his hand like 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 if someone was speeding and you would you would try to tell them to slow down you like you put your hand down like slow down you know he's telling me like the fucking sit still asshole you know but he's 30 <laughs> yards away from me he's like sit still you dummy you're on the ground so i'm like all right i'm trying to sit still and i've got a head net on and everything and these squirrels keep crawling up all over this tree that i'm backed up against i'm getting pissed off i mean they're just bothering me and i heard this squirrel coming up behind me and i'm like oh this fucking goddamn squirrel and i turned real slow because i mean I, you're not allowed to move fast my dad told me, if I, he sculled me if I moved fast in the woods, slow as I possibly can. I move around, and I, I just arch my back as far as I can, and I can't see the squirrel. I'm like, you little son of a bitch. And I keep moving around, and I keep turning my body, and I'm at the point where I'm like, I can't turn anymore. And just as I do that, I see a nose of a doe comes right up to my head net, and I pissed my pants <laughs> i jumped the deer freaking jumped and it was just blue and i'm like oh my god oh my god it was a freaking deer right behind me so you think my dad is up in a tree stand watching this deer walk right up behind me and i'm sitting there facing the wrong freaking way bow in hand like no chance in the world sitting on my ass no chance in the world i could shoot this deer it takes off running and runs and starts stomping its feet right behind him right and i hear him shoot i'm like whoa he shot oh great he got one I'm like oh man oh this is my first real bow hunt where i and i had been on bow hunts before but my first real bow hunt where i had been involved with a deer being shot i'm i am ecstatic right now and i'm like oh my gosh he got one i'm like and i didn't totally forgot about my complete ineptitude as a 10 11 year old kid i'm just like oh my gosh my dad is a bow hunting master right so i look up at him and he starts pointing and he starts pointing in the direction that the deer was where he shot so i'm like oh okay well i guess he wants me to go look for the deer i'm on the ground he doesn't want to get down he wants me to go look so I stood up, and I start walking, start walking, start getting over to him, and I see him, and he's, like, moving his hands, and I'm like, oh, he wants me to go over the other way, like, maybe the deer ran another direction, so I start walking over, and all of a sudden, I see white tails, and they're running away from me, like, holy shit, what the, what the hell just happened, and I look at him, and he wants to take his bow and throw it into the freaking bean field. He's so pissed right now. <laughs> so he starts climbing down, and he's like, you know, and this is pre-safety harnesses. He's climbing down a lot faster than I, 
I personally think would be safe. <laughs> and he gets down to the bottom and he's like shaking and he's like trying to get out of this climber. And he's fucking finally, he climbs back up the tree, he leaves the climber, climbs like shimmies up the tree and jumps out of it and comes over to me. And I'm looking at him like, I'm shocked. Like what in the fuck is wrong with this guy right now? You know? <laughs> and he's looking at me like, do you realize what you just did? I'm like, no i have no idea and then he realized he's like oh you are a complete and utter neophyte dumb shit asshole right (laughs) my nickname (laughs) and he finally explains to me he says i missed the deer that that you spooked went behind me i missed it they kind of did a button hook and they came back and they were coming they were walking right to you all you had to do was draw your bow and they were 20 yards away and you could have shot and i'm like no 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 he said didn't you see the tails running away i said yeah yeah when i started walking he was like yeah all you had to do was shoot because you started walking to them and they were looking at you watching you the whole time <laughs> and i'm like oh my gosh so we went over to his arrow and he had missed he had totally missed i thought he had killed a deer i thought i was supposed to be trailing a deer he had missed. Well, I'll never forget this because I thought at that point that I was the worst hunter in the world. Like I was like, I, I made a zillion mistakes. I sucked. I cooked, totally sucked. And my dad looked at me and said, ah, it's all right. Plenty of deer in the woods. We'll shoot another one. He said, let's go up and let's, let's uh, go up top of this hill. We can see for a long way. We'll try to make a stalk on the deer. Well, there was no chance. It was already getting dark. And we went up, walked, walked around, you know, and, and, and tried to look for deer. But he kind of, he, he took all the pressure away from me. And he said, you know, he just was like, ah, yeah, plenty of deer. Screw them. Fuck them. You learn from it. And we went up and we walked around. Later on, later on that day, we went to the, the local tackle shop and he told the story. And believe me, my, my cheeks were pretty red faced, but, uh, but, uh, but, you know, th- th- my dad was awesome about that where, you know, he took me into a situation where he put me on some deer. I mean, I had a deer within inches of me, you know, at, at 10 or 11 years old and then had another opportunity. And then when I screwed up royally, just the biggest screw up I could have done, he was like, ah, you know what? Screw it. Fuck it. We're good. Let's plenty of deer in the woods. We we can continue. That made me feel like okay, it's 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 okay to make mistakes. And shit, we know in life, man, we're gonna screw up. We we can't do everything perfect the first time we do it. So you have to embrace those mistakes and learn from them. And I did. And but that's my most memorable hunt is with my father. And I, believe me, I've got I, I've got some ties to that and second places that are really special to me with my grandfather and, and my, my kids and my wife that I, I feel bad, not, not saying, but that, that one right there, that, that meant a lot to me. <laughs> oh man. That, and that's awesome because that, like, that's kind of like where I'm going, like with, with my story and uh, hearing you guys talk, it, <laughs> it, it makes me like think, like, Oh, what about this hunt? What about this hunt? Because mm-hmm. I, I mean, if you're a true hunter, I feel like, and fuck, you know, uh, you all you got to do is look at the pictures from Frank's quote-unquote wall of shame, 
<laughs> you know, he's like, I remember all those motherfuckers, and I, you know, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm not kill the big one, but man, it, and he gets mad. You know, we talk to these guys that, you know, bed hunt and hunt big bucks, and he, I mean, we we start to break down like how they hunt and maybe what we should change, and he's like, he gets, he starts to get pissed because he's like, you know, what's wrong with the fucking way that I hunt? Look at all the fucking deer I've killed, and blah blah blah. It's mm-hmm. like he's a straight killer it's no it's you know mm-hmm. and 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 so it's 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 funny because like just off of your story i'll tell you a story it's not my most memorable hunt but it's right it's a most memorable non-hunt i guess <laughs> frank was uh camping somewhere or something like that and you went you talk about like the, the like how your dad like deflated the situation and was like, oh, you know, no big deal. Plenty of deer in the woods. And that to me sounds like Frank, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. maybe, it, maybe it's more like turkeys or like whatever, like he'll bust your balls and stuff, but he's, he's real laid back, obviously. Good dude. But like, mm-hmm. fuck, it was this one like Halloween. I don't know where the fuck he was at, but he was like, you need to hunt the spot. There's these deer. And it may have been even right around the time, like the first time I hunted in the area where, I killed the bigger buck this year, but he's like, you need to hunt there. You need to hunt there tomorrow. It was fucking Halloween weekend. Went out, got in a fight, knocked this guy's teeth out. Fucking, <laughs> I mean, this is no bullshit. Like, you know, and was there any alcohol involved? Nah, not a drop, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you fucking come back and I'm fucking just, I, and then we went to another party and got to another fight and I'm fucking all beat to shit. And um, my, I'm I'm sitting there and Frank comes home and he's like, you hunt that spot this morning? And I was like, no, I didn't. And he's like, why not? And I was like, I got in a little trouble last night. And he's like, did you go to jail? I was like, no. And he's like, did you win? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, why didn't you hunt? <laughs> <laughs> it's like well i mean i'm not quite there yet like the, you know, that's not the progression of my thought process but you know i mean i guess you're right yes so uh, i mean of the whole like de-escalating the situation like that you know that that's kind of that and like i said you know I, I, my my dad he thinks that i just demean him on the podcast because we didn't grow up like I grew up in a very privileged uh, situation. I think like, you know, we had a big property to hunt and it was always a deer camp situation. And it was never about a big buck. It was just about the experience of going to deer camp. And I think that's what my brother encompasses that it's the getting away. It's the, it's the going up there. It's the, you know, you know, sharing the laughs and, and, and all that stuff. It's never been about the hunting. I mean, not until I married into this mutant slaying, fucking violating <laughs> family did I r- realize that it was like about killing bucks and like the whole thing. Like, you know, that was just, it, it just never was what I was brought up on. So way before there was antler point restrictions, way before anything, and my dad always hunted late you know, opening morning, and this is with a rifle, it's not with a bow, you know, we hear a shot at 11 o'clock or something, and, you know, we know it came from my dad's stand, and 
my dad had had issues in the past where he shot deer that didn't meet our antler point restrictions, um, mm-hmm. you know, because he thought they had brow tines or this or that. And it, these were all self-imposed and it was just, you ended up having to do dishes or, or whatever, but you know, it was widely known amongst the properties all surrounding us. So mm-hmm. my brother who is up there, just the good time drew, um, my dad finally shows up and we're like, do you shoot a deer? And he's like, yep. And we're like, is it legal? And he's like, yep, it's legal. So my, my brother and I go down there and it's the biggest buck we've ever seen taken off our property ever. And wow. it was a, 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 you know, maybe 130 inch eight point, something like that. But beautiful deer, just a beautiful, beautiful buck. But we we're in cedar swamps of, the upper peninsula of Michigan and Mm -hmm. this fucking deer. I mean, after seven days of hanging in sub zero temperatures, it was 197 pounds dressed. Holy shit. I'm probably 19 years old and my brother's 16 or 17 at that time. And he's 300 pounds or so. And we, he tell my dad kind of tells us where it is and we are and at this time you know we gotta go we're a half it's a half a mile where my dad hunts is a half a mile from our camp and we didn't take a quad down there we just fucking went down there and he had to cross the creek and do the stuff and we walked up to that thing and went mother fucker <laughs> and there was a log going across the creek and i thought my brother was gonna have a heart attack it was like unfucking believable and we got back up there and we were like, fuck you, you know, <laughs> just tell us that it's the fucking biggest deer that's ever been killed out of this camp or that it's the biggest deer you've ever seen in your life or something like not that it's just legal motherfucker. You kill them that are accidental, you know? So that's what we were expecting was something that was like, uh, okay. But mm-hmm. it was the biggest, I mean, as far as body wise and you know, this is just, you know, the way that my family is and like my dad is and, you know, what does he do? He fucking saws all the fucking antlers off and they're hanging in the fucking pole bar. <laughs> and, and that's the, the way that it is. I mean, that's the way that I was brought up, but you know, that was my brother and I going and retrieving my dad's deer and he's, you know, of the mindset or whatever, humble enough to just say, yeah, it's all right. Go Go pick it up for me. So I think the biggest challenge that we have now, uh, trying to share, it's difficult to share that, you know, because you told me that story and I'm literally like sides hurting laughing because it's hilarious. But if I was there, it would have meant so much more. It's like that, that, that joke. It's like, oh, you had to be there. So how do you, how do you convey that to people? That's, that is, that's a challenge. You know, it's like, that that's a real challenge to try to convey the, you had to be there, uh, situation because God, you're telling the story and I'm like, I wish I was there not pulling that freaking massive deer out. Believe me. But just when <laughs> we looking, got back up, like, I want to, I want to get there and laugh at your asses <laughs> doing it. Be see the look on their face when they walk over that ridge and look at it. Oh, what? Yeah, and that's what it was. Is like we walked over and went, motherfucker. 
Like, and, <laughs> so we're a half mile, and like, we're like, there's nothing that we can do. It was like, oh, we agree. You know, we voluntarily said, oh, we'll go grab it for you, Dad. Oh, yeah. No, we don't need a quad. We're tough. We're 19. We're badass. Yeah. Well, and that was the thing is like, I drew, you know, I, I, I drove that deer back because my dad stayed up there and, you know, I brought it to Frank and he's like, your dad killed that? Like at your camp? Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a, I mean, it's, it's an amazing deer. It's a deer that anybody would shoot any day. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, it just, it just fucking saws all here, saws all there and fuck slap her up there. And that, that's just the, just the way that, that it is. And, you know, my, if you go, you know, to his dad's house, you go to my grandpa's and it's all African animals and fuck zebra rugs and all sorts of stuff. But I think it might be that exotic thing because it's not what you're used to doing. I mean, my grandpa had killed some really nice bucks and, but there's not a white tail mount one anywhere. Really? Yeah. And it's. I don't know. Just because it was, well, that's what we have around here. No big deal. Right. And, and that was the thing. And I mean, like if you, if you go into my camp right now, hanging on the walls, uh, I don't know, 125 inch deer with a metal tag from 1940 something. And, Mm -hmm. uh, that's the first deer that, you know, my grandpa's cousin ever, ever recovered. And he shot much bigger deer, but, they didn't get taught to hunt, so nobody ever told them they had to go recover them. So if they didn't uh, die right there, they didn't look for them. And, you know, that was very common. You know, if you shot something and it ran off, well, well, I guess I didn't get that one. Right. You know, it could have died 50 yards away, but, you know, that that was very common back then. And and it, it actually, from from what I hear, um, speaking of a couple of the, uh, conservation officers in, in, in Virginia is that blood trailing wasn't like a huge thing it, it, when it, when it came to deer hunting. Now, no, when it came to like uh, hound hunting is a different story, but when it came to strictly like the traditional, uh, type of deer hunting that we know with deer camps and stuff, um, shooting, shooting a deer. And if it ran off, that was, it wasn't it wasn't common to trail that deer for any amount of time, any amount of distance. It was, if it didn't drop or fall within sight, you know, well, that's, that's one that got away. And that's, you know, I'm, luckily we, we, we have a little better knowledge now. Oh, for sure. And, and like I say, like, you know, for you, to, to say that you had a hunt that where you didn't harvest anything or, I mean, you guys didn't even, it wasn't even a deer that you drug out or anything like that. And I've yeah. had a ton of memorable hunts and I think everybody does, but it's always that one that, that sticks in your mind and, mm-hmm. and John's isn't even a deer and it's not even a bow hunt, but it's just, yeah. it's the, it's, it's that sharing it. That that's the common theme is that you shared it with, with somebody. And I think, you know, the way that the world is evolving and whether it's, you know, social media or, or whatever it is, I mean, it allows us to do that. And that's why I think video is so important. Um, just in a sense of, you know, we talked to guys that started videoing just so that they could see what they did wrong or, or what they did right, or kind mm-hmm. of uh, have a better memory of it. But, you know, that history, that 
camaraderie, that is what brings us together as hunters. And, you know, that's the common thread between those stories. And that's kind of what I wanted to, you know, just kind of see. And, you know, it's, it's just an amazing culture and, you know, to, I, I, know you this is one of the rare podcasts where like i can sit here and drink ten thousand beers with whoever's on the end of the line but i've had fucking ten thousand beers with you and i'm like man that motherfucker these guys in like two days we had ten thousand right (laughs) and 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 so that's one of those things is like to 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 share that you know you're on the end of the line but like i know who i'm talking to and mm-hmm. for us as hunters to be able to have a, a common thread of to be able to share it with the people that are closest to us. And that's why we do what we do. And that's why this whole thing continues to, to go. So I love to be able to to know who I'm talking to and then be able to bust your balls about the the crossbows <laughs> and, and, and whatever and, and pick your brains without having it. to feel guilty about it. You know what I mean? Um, I'll take it. Just, just don't tease me for my pink shirt or anything like that. Which oh, I, I don't got really wear, but... pink and purple shirts. I don't care. I, you know. <laughs> no, but you know, you, you guys, you, right now, I'm, I, I forgot. I, I actually forgot like an hour ago that we were doing a podcast. I thought we were just talking <laughs> because this is like, I mean, this is hunting camp. What we're doing right now is hunting camp. It's, it's, it's everything that I grew up doing. Or I take that back. When I was growing up, I was listening to my grandfathers and my their, their buddies and my dad and their buddies. And they were bullshitting and just talking, telling stories. And I would sit there 100% completely silent and just absorb it all and listen to it. And it was the greatest television I've ever, you know, been experienced, I, I, ever, ever been exposed to. It was the greatest entertainment ever. And that's what we're doing right now. And we're, we're literally giving people uh, what deer camp is like. This is like bullshitting, like what we're doing right now. That's, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't treat you guys any differently if you were my deer camp or if I was at your deer camp and we were there and we're hunting and we're like tomorrow morning, good luck getting up. Cause John, you drank too many beers per <laughs> usual. And, uh, I'm going to get up and I'm going to be in your stand. Sorry about that. You're going to have to find the other shitty stand. You know, it's like that, that kind of, that kind of bullshit that, 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 that we're able to do. I mean, that's, that's what deer camp, that's what hunting in my, from, from my experience, that's what it's about. And that's why I love what you guys are doing with your podcast, because you literally are, are who you are, no matter what. You're not gonna. You're not gonna change who you are, no matter what your who your guest is. You're just gonna speak the truth and speak how you are, and 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 and, and treat it like a deer camp. And that's what I love about you guys. Well, and I, like I said, I totally appreciate that. And the the hard part is, is that you know, understanding. It's kind of you know, it's a self awareness thing. It's like. I know that I, I I know what I don't know and I know what John knows. And that's why I like to bring, that's why this whole thing works is because he has a completely different perspective on this. I mean, he loves fishing and I just, I 
tend to you know like hunting better i guess i don't know but he, I love both. but he he's like well i'm gonna fucking build nine thousand arrows he's, he's like you're the one with the deficiency dude because you can't see both sides <laughs> right 100 percent. well we 100 percent need to do this again um i am i mean if if we need to do fucking like uh what do they call it like rhino pig like piss my pants right now i could totally do it but i gotta piss and like i totally we need to do this again because i want to dive much deeper into uh the traditional background and how it's evolved and your uh falconry um you know uh tiberius wellington your your newest hawk um, <laughs> oh god we do need to talk about 20 waffles too <laughs> and that's 100 percent like where i want to go with the next podcast uh but all good for... man you let you let me know when and uh, anytime, I'm so I'm privileged. I, I want to tell both of you guys, I appreciate your time. I appreciate the the, the opportunity to, to talk to you guys. I, you know, I, I I hope I hope anything that I've given you tonight is, is has been helpful. And that, but I'm shit. I just like to talk to you guys. I, I had a good time. I've I, ever since I met you guys. Every time I talk to you, I've had a blast talking to you. And um, Shit, we need to do it again before next January, before ATA. Oh, Absolutely. oh, for sure. And, you know, you just give us some dates and, you know, some weekends and we'll figure out what we can, what we can make work because. Yeah, I'm, I'm good tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that, that's all good, man. Um, like I said, anytime I'm, I'm super flexible, so we'll just make it happen. Awesome, man. And so where can people follow along if they want, if they're like, well, man, this guy was super interesting. I mean, you know, I'm not really into the crossbow thing, but like, well, you know, the rest of it's pretty cool. What, where can I follow? Yeah. I mean, uh, first off, uh, I mean, hunt urban is, would, would be the first place. And then, um, William, I think it's shit. I think it's William underscore Phillips on instagram i think fuck i don't even know <laughs> if uh I, seriously i don't he, even know he looks like a little mexican dude with a bird 100 percent <laughs> big ass beard i look like a 100 percent asshole <laughs> so if you if you type in actually instagram asshole with a bird i guarantee i come up oh i'm gonna hashtag that when i fucking put this podcast up <laughs> asshole with a bird you can find me if you if you uh, uh, I think I think I'm the only person in the world who follows twenty waffles on Instagram. <laughs> so yeah, twenty oh. waffles you'll find you'll find you'll find something with me. Well, awesome, Billy. I really appreciate your time, and it's been a blast. And it's absolutely zero lip service. We need to do this again. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Man. <laughs> appreciate right. it.
and sit down.